On the Empire Podcast this week, we trip a little light fantastic with Mary Poppins return star Lynn manuel Miranda. Linny Manny is on the podcast, oh my days. Plus, we say Happy New Year, Ben Wheatley, to Happy New Year, Colin Bursett director, um, Ben Wheatley. All that and more on the movie podcast that is ready for Christmas. It is ready for the Christmas break. Just stick me under the tree, put a big old ribbon around me. I am done. I am ready. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Every day is Christmas Eve at, at Empire and today it is almost literally true but it is not Christmas Eve. It is, as we record this, December 20th, 2018 which means one thing. Happy birthday, James Dyer. Thanks, Chris. How are you? I am feeling old. <laughs> Do you want to tell the people how old? 23. <laughs> yes. I've just turned 23. It's, it's quite emotional. You look very good on it. Thank you. You actually have not aged in the... Many years that I've known you. Yeah, I have a Dorian Gray thing going on. I think it's because I look like a middle-aged bald man when we met in my 20s, so uh, that's perhaps <laughs> why. I think also you've got a really good skincare regime. <laughs> what, what is your regime? Take me through it. It's the blood of freshly slaughtered lambs. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, like Sandra Bullock, I inject my face with sort of crushed foreskins, uh, which is a thing that... Really? Yeah, have you not seen this? This thing that she recommends, it's cells taken from, I believe it's like circumcised Vietnamese babies. I'm almost certain I'm not making this up. And I'm you almost inject, certain I have to cut that out. In, <laughs> no, no, it's, no, it's a thing she's actually talked about. It's not. This is not a National Enquirer thing. She has actively discussed this, uh-huh. and a number of other celebrities do this, uh-huh. and apparently they're, they're rejuvenating in there, you know. And also, like, if you go up to her and rub her cheeks, her face gets bigger. Because, you know, it's got pe- penis in it. <laughs> that last bit isn't true. I made that up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wow, that's that is something. Yeah, that sure is something. Yeah, uh, are you going to try this? The foreskin thing. Yeah. Do you know where you can get your hands on foreskins at this, <laughs> at this hour? I can find you a foreskin, dude. You need so- a foreskin? I can find you a foreskin. In Soho. <laughs> where will we find it? Wow, that's a tangent. Yeah, um, wasn't it? Wasn't yeah, it was. It but how how are you? You good? I, I should say before we we get into this uh, podcast that usually I'm joined in the Empire Podcast by up to three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Usually it's just two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Today, nobody could be arsed. It is you. You are my sole colleague of such lethal cunning. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm the sole one. But this, this makes absolute sense because we've gone straight on to this having recorded the Pilot TV podcast, which... Oh, did you, did you do that? Which we yeah. did. Yes, okay. yes. We recorded the Pilot TV podcast and then at the end, uh-huh. at the end, it's almost as if oh, some happened? catastrophic bell end uh-huh. crashed the podcast and derailed the whole thing. Really? Yeah. Did that just happen? That just happened. So it was a little bit like the DC crossover episodes that they have. So we had an an Empire Pod CU crossover event whereby uh-huh. you, yeah. you yourself, appeared unbidden. on the Pilot TV po- Unbidden, uninvited, unwanted on the Pilot TV podcast to throw it into carnage. I told you I was going to appear on the Pilot TV podcast. Yeah. So by it, hook or by crook. So instead of waiting for an invitation, you just opened the door, uh-huh. walked in, leant over the desk, turned the extra mic up, sat uh-huh. down, and then and started, started banging talking. on about blue bloods. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone uh, vaguely interested in hearing that, I highly recommend you download the Christmas Eve episode of Pilot TV, which will, no surprise, be out on Christmas Eve. <laughs> to hear Chris basically ruin the whole podcast. I'm cutting this bit out. Yeah. No, it'll be good. Keith will be delighted. Yeah. He'll be overjoyed. It's like you walked into the room and I was just like, dread it, run from it. <laughs> Chris Stewart arrives. All the same. All the same. That was fun. I quite enjoyed coming on the podcast and talking about Blue Bloods. I should say that I'm... <laughs> 
I'm only qualified to talk about blue bloods. <laughs> so if you could have a regular blue blood section, yeah, then, yeah. yeah. the blue blood segment, we'll do that. And bring me on. Yeah, because yeah, I was listening to your your little podcast, you and Terry and Boyd having a little chat away about some TV beforehand, and uh, Boyd was banging on about some worthy documentary about a hospital or something. Oh, can't, can't get crashed this bit. Then Terry started talking about a cop show, a terrible cop show called Unforgettable, <laughs> which is all too forgettable. So much so that they cancelled it. And I thought, right. This is my moment. This is my moment. This is my cue. <laughs> this is my perfect moment. <laughs> you asked for absolute shit, dear. I bring you Chris Hewitt on Blue Bloods. All right. But only the two of us. It is. It's good. Well, it's an, an intimate fireside chat, except I'm, with no fireside. Or, or indeed uh, Or indeed chat. much chat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm usually not around for your birthday, which always works me, because you are, sadly, it has to be, and this reflects more poorly on me than it does you, one of my closest <laughs> friends. Uh, but I'm usually not around. That's but, right. You've normally fucked off for Christmas, yeah. phoning it in as ever. Yeah. Uh, and yet you're still here, as I'm am I. Here. Yeah. So I mean, tonight we're going to trip a little light fantastic in London. Oh, yeah. You, me and Nick, we're, we're going to paint the town red. Tear that shit up. <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, we're going to tear that shit up by our ad because we are so on brand we discussed whether or not we'd go to the picture house central or the bfi because, <laughs> because apparently we are unable to break out of our stereotypes for one yeah. second or one evening yeah i don't drink yeah none of us are much drinkers actually. not really yeah, yeah. so that's... so we're gonna go and watch a film because we never do that no and have an andos yeah i don't think there'll be any injections of heroin happening at any point during the night almost certainly I'm not. saving our shit for christmas day yeah are you ready for christmas i'm reasonably ready for christmas yes i am uh i'm i'm waiting for my uh my import of uh, the Shield Blu-ray collection to arrive from America. Uh, I'm not convinced Santa's going to arrive in time to actually deliver that to my house. And if he does, it'll come with a fucking customs duty bill. But um, yeah, those are know, the worst. I know, I hate them. Here's your Blu-ray. Oh, and by the way, you owe us fifty pounds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm 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 looking forward to a break. There's so much stuff I need to watch. I have a massive backlog of stuff that I need to to catch up on. Uh, films and TV, like a whole bevy of stuff. Um, in fact, we recorded the Review of the Year Empire mm-hmm. podcast the other day, and there were loads of stuff that I was scribbling notes frantically of shit that I missed this year mm-hmm. that I need to now watch. So. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I've got to catch up on as well over the over the holidays. Not that I'm going to get a lot of time to myself. I think of about five podcasts edited, including this one. Uh, <laughs> so before we get onto our question, I'll take you through it now. So, you know, because I usually talk about this stuff at the end of the podcast, by which point people have stopped listening, so they may have <laughs> missed it. Uh, but there are a whole bunch of podcast specials. There are some that are up already. So the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse spoiler special with producers Phil Lord and Chris Miller. That is available for you to listen to right now. It's a lot of fun. Is it just uh, the one version of Phil Lord and Chris Miller, or do you have multiple ones on it there? It is just them. It is this universe is Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, but they're, they're damn good ones uh, as well. This podcast... Yeah. That'll be up by the time you're listening to this. Yes. Uh, the Aquaman spoiler special with Jason Momoa, that is going to be up on December 27th. Okay. And of course, the, the last Pilot TV podcast of the year will be up on December 24th. Really? You're not doing December 30th? Uh, no, we've got, uh, we've got the next regular Pilot one, the one that you're on, the triumphant Chris Hewitt Crashathon, will be up on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and then we have a review of the year one, which will be up on, I want to say, the 27th. It might be the 20th, but the end of this week. Okay. All right. So, all right. So, this is the last part of the year, the last regular part mm. of the year. We're not on next week, and instead will be our review of the year podcast. That'll be up on the 28th as well. Then our Bumblebee spoiler special with director Travis Knight. That'll be up around the 30th or so. So it opens here on the 26th, Boxing Day. It'll be out a few days after that. Right, should we get on with the question? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's have a question. The question comes from uh, at 
Lef on Twitter, L-L-E-F on Twitter, uh, who sent this in after I basically made an appeal on Twitter saying the first person to respond to this with the question, what films are you most looking forward to next year? Well, after question read out in the Empire podcast, because it's the last podcast of the year, yeah. we are looking forward to 2019. I wanted to address this question, but I wanted to do so organically. So here we are. Thanks, Lef. What films are you most looking forward to next year? There's only one answer to this question, Chris. And what is that? It's Infinity War. Is it now? Well, no, it's it's Endgame. It's Infinity War Part 2. It is Endgame. It is Avengers Endgame. Now, and I should I should qualify this by saying, of course, everyone says this, but it is a big deal that I am saying this, I think, because this is also a year in which Star Wars Episode 9 comes out. Mm-hmm. So for me to say that the thing I am looking forward to most is Infinity War is a very big deal. It is a big deal. Uh I, I, I genuinely like, and we discussed this. Like, if there were three doors, if there were three doors in this room, mm-hmm. behind one mm-hmm. was Avengers Endgame. Behind two was Episode Nine, and behind three <laughs> was the entire final season of Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. I would, I would have a serious problem on my hands. I would almost, I, I would, it would kill me to make the choice. But I would, I would take door number one. I would take Avengers Endgame over pretty much anything else next year. I am mm-hmm. that excited to see how this resolves. And let's be honest, Game of Thrones, I could just wait for the books. They will arrive in 20, 30 years maximum. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting conundrum. Yeah. In what scenario are these three films and TV shows just waiting behind a door? I mean, th- this is this this is the weird sort of pseudo-sexual fantasy life that I have, you know, like, yeah. I'm, oh, look at the doors. Uh, I just, I just, honestly, there's... Endgame is going to be the cinematic event. I, I'm going to die happy when that's done. Like, that's it. I'm finished. I'm retiring at that point. <laughs> There's nothing left for me. It's like, it's just, I am so monumentally excited about it. And just watching the, you know, the little teaser trailer they dropped, I just, I lost my fucking mind. Mm. That's not to say I'm not excited about episode nine. I absolutely yeah, am. Very excited about but, it. But for you, a Star Wars yeah. guy, and we're both Star Wars guys. We yeah. grew up Star Wars guys. Absolutely. But you, you know, you're a bigger Star Wars fan than me, which is saying something. Uh, for you to say that yeah. is a pretty seismic shift. And I wonder whether it is partly for me that this feels, like Endgame feels to me like the last piece in a huge tapestry. Like this is what everything's been building towards. Indeed. Whereas episode nine, because I kind of understand the way these films have come together, because there's an improvisational nature to the Star Wars sequel trilogy, yeah. it's not really the end of a master overarching story it's essentially the third independent thing that they've shoved on the end to continue the story began by the second one which kind of continued the stories of the first like there's no overarching plan they are making it up as they go along yeah when they started episode 7 they didn't know where they were going with episode 9 and episode 8 literally Ryan Johnson had free range to just do what he liked and as JJ's coming for episode 9 he's had free range to do whatever he likes and that's fine and I think it will be fantastic to watch but there's not that sense of unveiling that sense of only now at the end do you understand you know, it's that. That's that's what I want. Yeah. And I think for Endgame, that is absolutely there. And it is for Game of Thrones as well. And don't get me wrong, I'm losing my shit over that too. But uh, it's going to be a hell of a year. Next year will be a hell of a year. See, like, what's yeah. yours? I mean, obviously your thing is Endgame. Yeah. That's end, your thing. Endgame is my main thing. That's your Endgame. Uh, if that were to open... <laughs> if that were to open... If you had your door scenario yeah, for me, yeah. right? Okay. So what are your doors? Game of Thrones. If sorry, the, if for me. If the Champions League final is in there, I don't want to know. Hold the door. Hold the door. <laughs> Good. I don't. I don't. Good. I don't really mind that much about Game of Thrones. It's okay. I will happily host a spoiler special and look like an idiot doing so, because I'll be going. What's Grumble? What's Grumbledore done this time? What's What's he up to? But the the, the TV show itself, I can take. What would I have to do to make you watch Game of Thrones? 
carve out a two-week block. Let's call it a holiday. <laughs> I don't which understand. is a very rare and alien concept to me, uh, where I could sit down and actually take the time to watch them. Because here's the thing, every time I've watched a Game of Thrones episode, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's totally, totally fine. You've just not felt the need to watch another one. Yeah, but yeah, I've just, I've got on too late. Yeah. I've, I've come on too late. Yeah. Door number two in this scenario is uh, episode nine. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. I will happily open that door. Uh, if there is behind this door on the same night as Endgame, a huge game for Liverpool, then that's when I have problems. But <laughs> Endgame, yes, it is Endgame for me by, by far and away. You know, we, we talked up so much Infinity War as this event, as the end of 10 years of this culmination for Marvel. But we all knew really it wasn't. It was... This is the end, as evidenced by the title. Yeah. Uh, and we're not going to see many of these characters again in this version, at least. And I, I think it's going to have a real emotional punch yeah. as well. It feels like the the proper end of an era. And yeah. like, it feels like we've just lived with these characters and loved these characters for so long. To know that this is the last time you're going to see some of them, it's it's that's packs a hefty punch it really does it really does but there are other films that I'm looking forward there to there are on, in fact on Christmas Day we're going to see the trailer for Us the new Jordan Peele film that's quite exciting that's very that's a strange mm. time to drop a I know, trailer especially for... since I imagine the tone of that trailer is not going to be massively festive but you know we'll yeah. see we'll see definitely very very much looking forward to that one mm. uh, what else am I looking forward to I'm looking forward to because I am a cliche to Spider-Man Far From Home <laughs> and and perhaps Captain Marvel I'm looking forward to Captain Marvel mm. I'm looking forward to John Wick Chapter 3 aren't we all I'm looking forward to Kingsman The Great Game which is Matthew Fawn's Kingsman prequel yes starring Rafe Fiennes uh, and that is going to be somehow out in either October or November uh, maybe there's not a lot of there's not a great preponderance of CG in that one I am very much looking forward to Glass, which I haven't seen yet, and I'm very looking forward to seeing that in the new year. Uh, uh, I am—I would say I'm looking forward to seeing Vice, except I've already seen Vice, except I'm embargoed, so I can't say what I thought of Vice, but Are I'm saying on. I'm looking forward to but seeing the Vice. Isn't the review up? I don't think so. I thought the review went up this week. It's open season in Vice. Oh, yes. okay. been, yeah. Let me rewind that. I am massively looking forward to Vice. In fact, so much so that I've already seen it and it's brilliant. So <laughs> not so much looking forward what, to it as yeah. just looking forward to telling people that they should see it. What film are you looking forward to? Uh, well, I've already seen it. Vice. I am looking forward to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm looking oh, forward yes. to... I'm curious about the Joker film. I'm very curious to see yes. that. Looking yes. forward to might be overstating it, but I am, I am I'm curious. Rocket Man's another one I'm curious yes. about. Interested to see that. Toy Story 4. That I'm very much excited about. I'm, um, I'm, I'm nervous about Toy Story 4. There's a number of films I'm looking forward to that I'm slightly nervous about, and Toy yeah. Story 4 is definitely one of those. Lion King's one I'm nervous about. On the one hand, like, I love the animated Lion King, and I really want to see this. And the Pride Rock sequence, uh, which I saw at D23, which was released again, that people finally saw recently, mm-hmm. uh, was great. It's everything I wanted from it, but I'm a little concerned that it will feel it will lose the personality that the animation had I could be wrong I hope I'm wrong I think the casting is great so very much looking forward to that It Chapter 2 really want to see having seen the trailer of Men in Black International that dropped today Mm -hmm. I'm in two minds about that one that actively diminished my appetite to see the film yes indeed same here I felt like there isn't didn't feel like there was anything fresh or new about it I felt we've been here before we've seen this before we've done this before and I don't know why this film exists I thought it was really clumsy modelled trailer that didn't really set out the story of mm. the film very well and it didn't look particularly fresh or new or very familiar beats very familiar beats in there yeah. 
because we get the Oscar and BAFTA stuff in January, February, mm. we tend to, you know, in the States, they get yeah, them in yeah, November, yeah. December. So there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's If Beale Street Could Talk, mm. which is the return of Barry Jenkins. There's Yorgos Lanthimos's The Favourite, which apparently is fantastic. That opens on New Year's Day in this country. There is Feist, as you said. There's Enlai Shyamalan's Glass. Uh, or glass, depending on your upbringing, <laughs> where you live. Glass. Glass. Who gives a shit about glass? A lot of people give a shit about glass, <laughs> and I think we'll find that out uh, in due course. There's, of course, you're very excited stuff. about Frozen 2, because who doesn't want to build another snowman? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of am. Okay, you're in a room, there are two doors. <laughs> Behind one door is Frozen 2. Yeah. Behind door number two... Is frozen yoghurt. ...is cats. <laughs> it's and, not even close. And the room is it's on fire and you have to go through one of them. Well, I don't... I don't. I like Frozen. I, I've seen Frozen <laughs> probably not as, as often as you have. Yeah, I've but, seen it a lot uh, You've seen it a lot, but I've, I've seen it a few times. My wife really likes Frozen. So we watched it again just the other day. You know what? It's charming. One of my big gripes of Frozen is that it's a musical until it stops being a musical. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? They just stop the songs. Yeah, they just forget I that it's a musical. Don't know why that is. Yeah, so weird. And also Hans, the... Uh, Booby. Yeah, I'm your white knight, uh, is a grade-A shit yes. who tries to kill both Anna and Elsa and yeah. gets away with it. I mean, he gets ostracised. Yeah. Uh, Weaselton gets obviously cast aside and, yeah. you know, they're they're not going to be part of the uh, the negotiations. They're very much leave <laughs> rather than remain. But uh, otherwise, otherwise that, that's economic sanctions for trying to kill two people yeah. that, and take over a kingdom and be a, a, just a grade-A arsehole. That's... Not enough. Yeah. I want to see his entrails. Yeah, we wanted to see essentially the end of Braveheart. <laughs> That's pretty much what I want to see. All right, so I'm just going to very, very quickly go through the rest of the year. Uh, Joe Cornish returns in yes. February with The Kid Who Would Be King. Shazam, I'm interested to see mm-hmm. Shazam because that <gasps> looks interesting. I just remembered. Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw. Where, and wasn't there was an image out recently with Hobbs and Shaw looking... Suspiciously like they were about to do some DIY. Yes. In fact, I meant to bring in the new issue of Empire, which is out next week and bang on about it relentlessly during the big sell. I forgot. You forgot to bring it in. But it's our 2019 preview issue. It's got loads of stuff in there. A lot of great stuff inside the issue. Including a picture from Hobson Shaw. And also, I'm not going to reveal it here, but there is a a new official title for Hobson Shaw, which is in the magazine. Is it? I didn't know that. Yeah, and I'm not going to reveal it. I will check that out. There's also an excellent interview with Kira Knightley in it that I did. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and it's not just excellent because I did it. it she, she gave an incredibly good career interview. She was incredibly candid, unbelievably sweary, and loads and loads and loads of fun. Uh, and obviously it is down to my exceptional talents as an interviewer. But uh, <laughs> but no, she was awesome, so I highly recommend you read the Kira Knightley Empire interview. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, while we, But that's just continued to... Oh, also in that issue, there's a big old Taika Waititi celebration as well where yes, know, we, there we is. questions. We go full Taika. But... Other things as we move into where are we now? We're in May. I'm looking at the year's release schedule. So we have John Wick Chapter 3, which I'm hugely, hugely, hugely excited about. I think that's going to be fantastic. James Gray directing Brad Pitt in a science fiction movie. Sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Ad Astra, 24th of May. Isn't that, isn't that like that's a Peter Express thing? It, it sounds like a Peter Express. Also a car. It's an, so it could be an ad for a Vauxhall Astra. <laughs> Vauxhall Ad Astra. But I'd happily watch that. Uh, there's Brightburn, which is a James Gunn produced anti-superhero movie which basically posits what if Superman had been evil so what if an alien super-powered alien had landed on this planet 
much the same as Superman does, but instead of obviously you know being altruistic and fighting for truth, justice in the American way, was just a twat. It's just like a and, spin on Red Sun. Uh, not really, because Red Sun obviously he's co-opted by the Soviets, mm. uh, but he still is fundamentally good. Mm. But this is just no grade A shit, you know, kind of antichrist type stuff. So Elizabeth Banks stars in that. So could be a lot of uh, fun. Trailer look pretty good. And then there's Aladdin. Now, yeah. The oh no, there first, isn't. <laughs> first images for that came out this week, yeah. and um, I, I think it's fair to say that Twitter did not react kindly. No, I believe the best one of all is coming to the Scarborough Apollo this holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> the Aladdin pants. I mean, it really does look a lot like you know. And Will Smith as the widow twanky. It's just <laughs> it isn't good. Where's Genie? He's behind you. No, he isn't. <laughs> Sorry. Could be good. Every day's Christmas I mean, Eve. Yeah, maybe it will be. X-Men Dark Phoenix is coming out as well. It could be good. Speaking of pantos. Uh, I'm really intrigued by the Danny Boyle, Richard Curtis comedy, which apparently is Beatles-centric, which means I will love it and you will hate it. Yep. Uh, there's James Mangold's untitled Ford versus Ferrari movie with Christian Bale. That's very quickly moving to August, which optimistically has the new Mutants down for release. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Is that August 2025? <laughs> uh, let's see what else we have. We have 17 Bridges, which is an action movie, which is opening on the same day as, I know I said John Wick Chapter 3, but I think the action movie of the year is set to debut on the 23rd of August. It is, of course. Can you guess what it is? Tell me. Angel Has Fallen. Oh, my God. The climactic, <laughs> explosive... Finale of the Mike Banning trilogy. Who will he tell the fuck off this time? <laughs> Let's have a game of fuck off again. Then we have It Chapter Two, Downton Abbey. Oh, I, I, honestly, I want to be on. Why am I not on set of that film right now? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Terry has refused. Wrapped. I know she refused to let me go because I don't think they are invited us. But but <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you how movies work. You can't just go on a set if they don't invite you. You have to wait for your invitation. I think, I think it was classist, to be honest. I, th- I think they I were not, po- not posh enough. Yeah, they wouldn't let us on. You weren't posh enough. Yeah, yeah. They're like, they, I, I think we could have gone downstairs and seen the sets in the kitchen, but we weren't allowed upstairs into the main house because it's not really for the help. <laughs> a man who has three servants wasn't... Uh, What's wasn't... Mr. Carson up to this time? Perhaps there's kind of a Mike Banning-esque situation where terrorists yeah. take over Downton yeah. and... Uh, all of the all of the, the the upstairs people are taken hostage, and all the downstairs mm-hmm. people are taken hostage. And only Mister Carson is left unaccounted for, and has to take out terrorists. Mister Carson is. No, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. That's not. No, that's not Jim Carter, is it? Yeah, it's it's your your very own Reacher reading friend. My 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 chum Deja Vu that's from right. Top Secret to Jim Carter. That's right. That's exciting. So yeah. who's Bates then? I can't remember the actor's name, but he's got a limp. He'd, he'd be. I would that- not. He's got. A, Dodgy leg, he would not Bren- be good. Brendan Carroll? Sure, why not? Uh, he uh, he would not be good in a terror situation, I'm saying. All right, so who does Bonneville play? Oh, that, that's, that's, that's Lord Grantham. Lord Grantham? Lord Grantham. Okay. Uh, who had a dog in it, a golden retriever, co- uh, not a golden retriever, a Labrador called Isis, who was materiously, <laughs> mysteriously uh, retired at one point during the show. I can't imagine why. Well, good news. Uh, Donald Trump has defeated ISIS this week. That's true. He killed the dog. Yeah, presumably that's what he's wearing on his head. <laughs> Untitled Terminator Project yes. is out on the 31st of October 2019. Terminator which anything into that release date. We have been expecting a title for this for some time. Having been on set, I'm very, very curious to see this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hugely excited towards the end of the year by the Ryan Johnson all-star murder mystery, Knives Out, which promises to position Daniel Craig as a new big-screen detective to rival the likes of Poirot. 
very excited by that one. The likes mm. of Chris Evans and Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Shannon. He did it. Uh, <laughs> in the movie as well. It's Michael Shannon, guys. It's Michael Shannon. It's Michael Shannon. It's absolutely Michael Shannon. And I'm excited about the Paul Figg, Emma Thompson romantic comedy Last Christmas, which will be out next Christmas, just to confuse matters. Um, and let me see what else. There's a Jumanji sequel coming our way as well. Star Wars Episode Nine: Sonic the Hedgehog and his big massive fucking thighs. <laughs> But the film I'm excited about, the film you're excited about, the film we're all excited it's about... Is Detective Pikachu. Is not Detective Pikachu. <laughs> it is Cats. Oh, Cats. Friday, December 20th. Cats. They, they issued a press release the other day, which I also interpreted as a threat. Uh, Cats <laughs> is now filming... They're using groundbreaking technology to bring a cast, including James Corden, Idris Elba, Judi Dench, Taylor Swift, Ian McKellen, Jennifer Hudson. All of them are going to be in this film, and I don't still don't know why. No, neither do I. It's a mystery to me. Every day is Christmas Eve. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty comprehensive overview of 2019. It was, wasn't it? I think what, we did well. What do you think? How would you assess 2019? Uh, taking Avengers Endgame out of it. <laughs> Are you excited about 2019? I'm deliriously excited about 2019. If you extract Endgame and Episode 9 from 2019, I'm still excited about it. Okay. Uh, I'm even excited to see Godzilla King of the Monsters. I'm excited to see that. Yeah. The trailer didn't blow me away, but it's no. a good person directed it, Michael Doherty, yeah. and yeah, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. Hopefully. So there we go. Right. That answered Left's question spontaneously asked <laughs> to their satisfaction and if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast you can get in touch via a number of methods we are on Twitter you can uh, contact us there use the hashtag Empire Podcast we are Empire Magazine at Empire Magazine on Twitter we're on Facebook as well as Empire Magazine and you can email us podcast at empireonline.com before we move on one last thing is of course that we are doing a live show February 6th our 350th episode is going to be recorded live at King's Place in London. It's going to be an absolute blast on the evening of February 6th. Not Valentine's Day, as it was last year. Doesn't clash with a big football game, as it did last year. Everything should be fine, so come along. Come along to that. Some tickets, I think, are still available via King's Place, www.kingsplace.co.uk. Do come along to that. We'd love to see you there. It's going to be a blast. All right, time now for our first guest. And it's a shame Helen's not here, really, because... She could have just waxed lyrical about this man for ages. It is, of course, Ben Wheatley, the director of... No, we'll do him next. Uh, it is, of course, Lynn Malmel Miranda, whom Helen has been banging on about for years and years and years, ever since she was lucky enough to see Hamilton on the uh, Broadway stage a few years ago. Came back, started banging on relentlessly about it. Oh, you need to see this play, this musical. It's absolutely phenomenal. Oh, uh, yeah, sure, Helen, whatever. Then, of course, I saw it. The scales fell from my eyes. Uh, it's an extraordinary piece of work. And Hollywood has agreed as well because they took Lima Mamma Miranda, uh, who is the, 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 the writer, the composer, the star of Hamilton, uh, an extraordinarily talented guy, and they have dropped him to movies. And he really didn't have much of a movie career up until now. He think he cameoed briefly in a Sex and the City movie and an episode of a TV show and that sort of stuff. But now he is starring in this week's Mary Poppins Returns as Jack a cheeky, cockney-ish London lamplighter in it. And uh, Helen and I went along to a top London hotel recently. Luckily, Lima Miranda was there also, and we read him his Miranda rights. It's good. Yeah, thank you. I've been working on that one for, for quite a while. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, really enjoyed it. Hope you guys do too. Here's me and Helen talking to Lin-Manuel Miranda. Enjoy. 
We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Mary Poppins Returns, Lima Mel Miranda. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. All the better for seeing Mary Poppins Returns. That's oh, a lot of fun, isn't it? Isn't it two hours of just escape and joy? I, love I was it. expecting just a dour, depressing film, but... <laughs> oh, yes. Based on... It's a gritty reboot. <laughs> no, it's the opposite of that. It's a joyous sequel. <laughs> uh, so when you were approached, when Rob Marshall approached you, at what point did you realize he didn't want you for Mary Poppins? Uh, he wanted you to play another role. <laughs> Uh, I was like, oh, Emily Blunt, I guess she'd be good. I mean, I still <laughs> I guess think she's a little better suited for the role than me. I still think you could have nailed it. She sings, she dances, she's gorgeous, she does everything well. Um, you know, it's uh, actually those that was those were my first two big questions. He told me Mary Poppins returns, and I said she does. <laughs> um, and I said, who's playing her? Um, and he sort of looked around because we were in a restaurant, made sure no one was listening to us and said Emily Blunt and I said oh that's really good yeah. um, so I mean that was really one of the reasons uh, I did it my, my two biggest reasons for saying yes to this were Rob Marshall who's one of the best directors of movie musicals ever full mm-hmm. stop mm-hmm. I think he belongs in the conversation with Stanley Donan and Vincent Minnelli of their era um, and Emily Blunt who you know who on earth goes from Girl on the Train to Mary Poppins to Quiet Place? That's, that's a hell of a, a, a whiplash. So um, she, she's extraordinary. Maybe that's the way to do it, though, just to mix the things up like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know? um, I mean, you've, you've talked in the past about wanting to learn from Rob Marshall and, and see how he works. So what was your technique? Did you, did you shadow him throughout this film? Or was this kind of laying the groundwork of a relationship that you can now go to him and talk about things? I think, I think two things can be true. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, I think that the biggest, well, one of the most heartening things about working with him for that year was realizing that he brings the best of what I know about collaborating in theater to film. Um, We had an extensive rehearsal process during which we became a company, um, which is an, you know, it's, it's, it's such a great way to approach uh, film because you just you the, the chemistry is there the relationships are already cemented by the time mm-hmm. uh, you're rolling um, and also he has an incredible brain trust he has a meticulous vision for what he wants but he also has people who are in on every one of his conversations about that. He's got his partner, John DeLuca, who uh, functions as a second director in a lot of ways. And then he's got three incredible associate choreographers, Tara, Marlon, and, and Joey Pizzi, who are his tentacles. You know, he's got one wrangling the children. He's got one working with me on steps, another working with the bikers and the dancers. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, it's an, it, you know, it's... It's old-fashioned. You, you get in the room and you talk about your vision to the, for the movie until everyone's making the same movie. Um, and, you know, it, it sounds so easy, but it's really not. Um, but it was, it was amazing watching him do that. And, you know, he allowed me to watch dailies and he allowed me to, you know, he would say, come behind here. Here's what I'm looking for um, in, in, you know, in every scene. And he'd say, you know, this is a cleaner take, but look at the look in your eyes here. I'm going with that. And, oh, wow, and watching okay. his de- decision-making process really as we were making the film. And what about things like camera work? Did you watch him and how he worked in terms of where he placed a camera and in terms of how it interacts with the actors? And- totally. And, and he, you know, I think one of the extraordinary things about Rob, I'm so glad this is a movie interview. We can really geek out about this shit. Um, is he, I believe he uses editing to reveal the best in his actors. That's why actors go back to work with him again and again and again, um, as opposed to obscure an actor's deficiencies. You know, you, you, we've all seen those like super cuts of like, 21 takes to climb a fence <laughs> where it's like, oh, okay. Yep. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I think 
Rob's editing, you always understand what's going on, and you and you see these actors in their best light. I think of Richard Gere's tap solo in Chicago. I think of Fergie on the beach in Nine. Holy shit! <laughs> um, you know, and and so actors love working with him because he brings out the best in them. He. And um, and so, you know, he has an amazing director of photography in Dion Beebe, who's worked with mm-hmm. him before. And um, and it, it, it was interesting because there are sequences where he's got cameras everywhere and he lets the movement win, like uh, Triple Little Light Fantastic. We ran that as a continuous eight-minute sequence. It was one of the last things we filmed. Um, wow. And um, it was a lot of me jogging around Kensington Park to get my <laughs> lungs ready uh, to literally survive it. Oh, my God. Um, and, uh, but we ran it like a Broadway number and he just moved the cameras on every take so that he had so much coverage to choose from. And then there's sequences like a cover is not the book where that was the first thing we filmed because he needed it edited and sent to the animators basically in March of 2017 because he brought back hand-drawn animation. He brought animators out of retirement uh, to, to begin animating as soon as possible. You know, the result of which is we've been sitting on this movie for a year and a half and uh, can't wait to sort of, for the world to see it. Fantastic. I mean, in terms of learning the, the choreography and the steps, that was something that you, you've talked about being a little bit not worried about, but like looking forward to challenging yourself and doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, was there a single step that was, was particularly tricky or was it just the sheer amount and number of them? No, it's, um, I mean, I was, listen, I'm, <laughs> if you watch Triple Little Light Fantastic, I am a uh, actor who moves well, surrounded by all the best dancers in London. <laughs> so you better get your steps up. And, and I thrive, I thrive in that environment and felt so taken care of um, by our, our, choreography team but no the the joy is in 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 that level of of mastery i think you know the first day i started swinging around that lamppost i was like oh all right we're we're swinging swinging around (laughs) these lampposts um they're treated so that i can hold it swing around four times you know you learn to spot really quickly otherwise you're going to land facing away from the cameras um and um and so it was um a new uh Level of appreciation for Gene Kelly and singing in the rain. Well. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure. Um, but also, you know, I think um, that was that. That's the fun of it. Is I think every actor will tell you, you know, in in your journey in your career, you become a master at these very arcane, weird tricks. You know, I I can throw a hat on a lamppost like nobody's business because oh, I spent three CG. months. Okay. No, that's not CG. That was me fucking around in rehearsal <laughs> and Rob being like, can you do that again in front of the camera? And then cut to me like a month later, just on my lunch break with, with one of the choreographers sort of throwing the hat back to me and me just throwing the hat on the lamp. So that became um, a skill in my arsenal. Oh, that's and, good. Is uh, that on your, I'll pull that out at parties. I was gonna say, is that on your resume now? Can yeah, we, that's fully on my CV. Can absolutely. we get a hat and a lamppost in here from Mr. Miranda, please? I want to put that to absolutely. the test. Yeah, I shot a thing. We shot a, a, a thing for... Uh, one of those like video specials for another magazine and they uh-huh. they brought out the lamppost they brought out the hat uh-huh. and uh they were kind of counting on a cute video for me to like try many times to get it and i got it on the first take <laughs> but they edited it so that it looked like it took me many takes and i'm uh, still a little oh, angry with entertainment weekly we don't mention those guys in this podcast <laughs> that's for sure um, and how was it working with the animation? You know, so for, for that like opening number, you yeah. know, you, you're fairly new to the to the set, and yeah. I guess you've been you've been rehearsing at that point. But we've for been a rehearsing, amount, and but... we've been rehearsing with dancers holding cardboard penguins up oh, for okay. us. Um, so we knew where they were, um, and 
the joy was in actually having the animators on set when we filmed the sequence. So, you know, getting a note from an animator being like, I feel like he's a little heavier when you're carrying him on your cane. Um, you know, and, you know, all of your theater major training coming in very handy because you are throwing around imaginary penguins as you rap as fast mm. as you can. <laughs> Uh, what, what did the original Mary Poppins mean to you? Whenever, whenever Rob Marshall says Mary Poppins returns, what flooded into your head? Because that that, that musical is such so, it is musical and it's so huge for people growing up. I mean, it's, yeah. it's filled with banger after banger after banger. <laughs> it's true, and every well, yes, every song's a classic, and also because it's been fifty four years, every generation's grown up with it at this point. And so, you know, for me, it was I'm of the VHS era, so it was many hours of dancing along to Jolly Holiday and those Penguins. And you know, for a, a word nerd as myself, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious is the most audacious lyric anyone could possibly write. It was a it was a badge of honor in third grade. Who could spell it? Who could spell it backwards? <laughs> wow. You know, and it was... Uh, backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one friend, Arthur Lewis, who could do it, and that's when he became my friend. Um, <laughs> we still talk about that moment of meeting in the cafeteria. He was the kid in our grade who could do it. Um, so, yeah, so those, those songs are just sort of part of the currency of, of all of our childhoods. Rob Marshall Chris says, is mentally setting himself I'm trying challenged. to spell it backwards, but I can barely spell it backwards, T-I, and that's about it. That's as, that's as far as I'm going to go. Uh, so Rob Marshall says to you, we're going to do Mary Poppins Returns. And did something pop into your head, your head at that point? Did you think, oh, I'm going to get to sing those songs? Or did he say right away, these are new songs? Yeah, okay. yeah, no. I, I was attracted to the fact that it was a new story, and it was Rob Marshall making an original musical, which mm -hmm. he did the harder thing first. Mm -hmm. he, he adapted stage pieces brilliantly to the screen. Yeah. which I believe is harder. You know, adapting a two-act structure into a three-act structure I think is way more difficult than, than crafting something originally for the screen. But I was also so excited to work with Mark and Scott because I believe they are as perfectly cast to write the score as Emily is to play mm -hmm. Mary Poppins. They sort of, they, they write in this incredible, beautiful, old-fashioned but fresh way um, and, and worship at the feet of the Sherman Brothers. Um, so um, I, was, I was excited to work with them. And uh, I've been a fan of Mark's since he wrote the Oscar medleys for Billy Crystal uh, in the early 90s. <laughs> it's a wonderful night for Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. Who will win? Who will host? Um, you know, so... Oh, yeah, that, who will host? I don't know. <laughs> um, so that was, you know, that was, a, that was a total joy for me to get to, to work with him because I've been a fan my whole life. We have to mention the H word. Uh, Helen and I are... Massive fans of Hamilton. Uh, Helen saw you on Broadway. I did. Oh, fantastic. Saw you on Broadway. I have to. I have to say, all the profound questions going through my head have disappeared to be replaced simply by, how do you remember all the words? <laughs> That's a great question for me at this point in my life because Precisely. I'm preparing to do it again in Puerto Rico for three weeks only, and. Uh, it's sort of like I've got a messy computer desktop. <laughs> I know they're all there. <laughs> I know I haven't pressed empty trash on any of my files. I just don't know what order they go in yet. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, I, I, the last time I, I sort of saw the show here in London was when the prince and uh, the, the Duke and Duchess uh, of course. came yeah. to uh, see the show. I sat next to them. They are big fans of the show. I watched, you know, 
uh, Meghan Markle mouthing along to the words. And then I was trying to mouth along. And in certain sections, I was like, I don't know this part <laughs> as well as I thought I did. Because you have to, but I have a different problem than most people. Most people are just trying to memorize guns and ships or David's great breakdown in uh, Washington on your side. I have the old drafts in my head. Yes. So I'll be, you know, I'll be watching Right Hand Man and I'll do the off Broadway rap. I'll go to the off-Broadway rap instead of the final draft, because I did that for seven months, too, guys. Um, So um, that's the challenge for me, is sort of forgetting Mm -hmm. um, all the versions. Oh, my God. And did they go out of your head the second you finished your last performance? Um, Yeah, they they went with my ponytail. (laughs) (laughs) Gone. It's like Samson in there. The lyrics are in there. Um, Are there any geeky references in Hamilton Left that you haven't revealed in the tome, uh, or people haven't sort of picked up for you because i remember you saying well there's one mary poppins crossover which is the move i steal from the sermon brothers you know they talk about a bit in saving mr banks but you know that great sort of move of a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down you know rising the melody on the word down and so i i swiped that for king george's song oceans rise empires fall that's a sherman brothers move like classic little love note to them um to to Go down on rise and rise on fall. Amazing. That's neat. Are you thinking now at the moment? Because obviously uh, John M. Chu is working on In the Heights, yeah. which is filming right now, isn't it? Or is it uh, No, film? we'll film in the spring. And that's spring. year two of my film school. Um, yeah. To get to watch him... Um, well, adapt this piece I know very well. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I've... I've been a fan of, like, I'm the guy who saw Step Up and Step Up 2 in the theaters. I think Channing Tatum's yeah. sequence in Step Up 2 is one of the more Stunning. thrilling yeah. uh, dance solos Step in movie two. history. Step Up 2's finale is one of my all-time yeah, favorite Step dance finales. Can we, can we just call it by his, his full name? Step, Step up, up to, to the streets. Step up to the streets. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah, we have to. You've got to be respectful. to be confused with uh, Mike, uh, what's his face? <laughs> the, the rapper here from London. Oh, yeah. yeah the, the streets. Yeah, the streets. absolutely. Yeah. Geezers need excitement. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I mean that's that that I'm a big fan of his, and and then I was so thrilled seeing uh, Crazy Rich Asians. In addition to just being a wonderful movie, it was also I think one of the best cast movies I've seen in years. It was full of these super. It was this mix of superstars I've known all my life, like like Michelle Yao and and superstars I'd never heard of. I'm hoping he achieves sort of a similar mix with the incredible Latino actors we have for for In the Heights, sort of mm. superstars we know and superstars we haven't met yet. Mm. But the but the it's the act of adaptation and. I imagine it's also the act of of condensing and changing and so it's yeah, and, you know. and also updating I think yeah. you know I think the Kiara's written a screenplay that I think very smartly puts in the heights firmly in 2018 2019 and you know the issues we talked about in that musical um, I remember critics being like are these really high enough stakes immigration <laughs> gentrification mm-hmm. um, all of that is to the nth degree now it could not be more more relevant um, and so I think Kiara has done a great job sort of updating it in a way that honors the the theatrical version but but really brings it into the present I wanted to ask as well about something slightly sillier which is uh, part of the Mary Poppins round you went and cooked with Ina Garten the perfect <laughs> yeah. contessa I am like in so much because I knew Rob Marshall had been on her show before I've seen so him there so here's the secret of that yeah. is that that's not some canny crossover promotion that's 
Rob's like best friends with her. They're <laughs> neighbors, um, and they're they're really present in each other's lives. So she came to set. Actually, she was on set You're the kidding. day uh, we filmed in front of St. Paul's uh, Cathedral, um, and that's when I first met her and geeked out. Um, and so, so that was like one of the more surreal, fun days I've had is going to Ina's house in the Hamptons. I hope you turned it up to eleven because she always turns it up to. 11. We absolutely did. And how fun is this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always I turn things up to eight. That's as far as I will go. I'm still trying to figure out how to spell supercalifragilistic expialidocious backwards. I may do that outside this room. The Hamilton movie at some point, people, I'm sure people are asking about this constantly. But yeah. that seems to me to be, that's going to be a major adaptation because... I'm, you, yeah, can, maybe. you can't take it work as it is. I don't know. Is that yeah. something that you're thinking I think about? Honestly, I, I, I think it poses its own challenges. It's a sung through musical. I, those, um, I feel like, have a rougher time surviving uh, the screen adaptation intact. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I hate when they take musical scenes and they turn them into dialogue and it just feels so stilted. It's like, no, we know how the melody goes, guys. What do, who do you think you're fooling? Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious about that. We've had zero conversations about that. Anyone who asks about it, we go, talk to us in five years. Oh, um, really? Yeah, so so we'll, we'll see. <laughs> and does I keep goes. changing every time someone asks, <laughs> like three years ago, talk to me in five years. Yeah, yeah. Last oh, it year, stays five, five years. years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> three years later. Yeah. Okay, well, awesome. well, we'll see you in five years' time. Yeah, <laughs> we'll awesome. see where you are then. Fantastic, Brilliant. thank you. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yes, guys, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Cheers. So that was Lin-Manuel Miranda, and uh, let's now get into the news section, Jimbo. And because I do this Alexa update thing every day, so if you don't already subscribe to that, then please do, because I bust my ass every morning. It'd be nice to know people listen. Um, I get up every morning, and I record a brief overview of the movie news that's happened overnight for people to listen to on their Alexas. How can they listen to that again? They can they, they get their Alexa and they set you up as their news source, their briefing yeah. thing, and then they basically, I think, say, Alexa, give me the news in the yeah. morning. And but you give turn me up the news. and go, bangly bang. Yeah, give me the news read by an idiot. And yeah. then I show up. Yeah. And yeah, and it's only like two, three, four minutes max. And I don't do any singing or any funny voices. But anyway, because I do that, I know that this week's been a bit of a black hole of news. Yeah, it has. There's not been a lot. There have been a few tre- tepid trailers. Uh, so it was Men in Black International, yes. which neither of us were particularly impressed by. I was not impressed by it. Uh, there's the new trailer for Hellboy, yep, which yep. obviously has the shadow of Guillermo del Toro hanging over it. It does. And this one looks weirdly del Toro-ish in terms of its tone. Maybe mm. not as quite as dark and quite as horrific and quite as Mike Mignola-esque as we had been led to believe. But uh, I still think that it looks fun. And David Harbour. Yes, he has a very red different gun. take mm. on Hellboy, which I quite enjoy. The high-pitched voice I thought was a bit weird. <laughs> and the dance sequences were strange. That was unusual. Very strange. Uh, there was actually another trailer for the new Nicole Kidman movie, Destroyer, mm. dropped out. I've seen Destroyer, and it's amazing. In fact, you've interviewed uh, Nicole Kidman in, for this very podcast. In fact, I have interviewed Nicole Kidman for this very podcast and she thought I was an absolute idiot. So that was nice. <laughs> and in her defence, she was absolutely right because I started recording the interview with her and didn't actually start recording the interview with her and then had to restart the interview with her and it all kind of got a bit comedic. Yeah. Uh, but you can listen to that when the film comes out next year. That's going to be a lot of fun. Look forward to it. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, what else has happened this week? Uh, I'll tell you. Shall I tell you? Go on, tell can me. I've got tell something me. that's going to be right up your street. Go on. Uh, you can James playing at me for a good four or five minutes in this one. Battlestar Galactica is being rebooted for the big screen yet again. It has a director, Francis yeah. Lawrence. It has a, a screenwriter, Jay Bazu, yeah. uh, who is going to uh, rework a draft that was previously written by Lisa Joy, the co-showrunner of Westworld. I'm not terribly convinced that this is going to happen. 
I'm not terribly convinced it's going to happen either. So the idea for this, because I don't know the details of it, the idea this is a completely new, standalone, non-connected-to-anything retelling of a story that was itself essentially inspired by Star Wars. <laughs> yes. And this is happening. So I just... It's a difficult thing for me, because like the original Battlestar Galactica series, a lot of people have a lot of uh, affection for, despite the fact that it's not very good. The 2003 slash 2004, depending on where you live, reboot of Battlestar Galactica series is a modern televisual masterpiece. Uh, and I would argue the last word on this particular story, it's extraordinary. Uh, I'm actually re-watching it at the moment, mm-hmm. because Trisha Helfer, who played Six in this series, is, has started the Battlestar Galacticast, mm-hmm. a podcast where she, alongside uh, a TV critic... Mark, uh, Mark Bernardin. Indeed, yeah, who indeed is, him. Who is... Not just a TV critic, but he is now a TV writer. He was part of the writing staff on the Bourne TV series, Treadstone, coming up. And he uh, also was part of the writing team on Castle Rock. Uh, But he is the co-host, obviously, of Fat Man on Batman with Kevin Smith. And he used to write the episode recaps and reviews for EW for Battlestar Galactica. So he's very, very down with his Battlestar lore. But the two of them are going through every episode in the show, episode by episode, much like um, Josh Molina does uh, with Rishikesh Herway on the West Wing Weekly for Mm. the West Wing. Uh, So basically, I'm now rewatching two shows along with two podcasts. So that's fun. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but what I'm saying is, you know, like it's an incredible show. Battlestar Galactica was. I rewatched it actually only a couple of years ago, uh, and it has aged spectacularly. It has a, a real sort of verite style to it. It's shot almost in a kind of uh, mm. a pseudo documentary style, yeah. which really adds this kind of gritty realism. And it's very dark, and it goes to some pretty unpleasant places. Um, it, I mean, there's a mixed reception, I think, to the end of it slightly because it, it has a, should we say, a sl- you have that thing with TV shows where you often get the case where you get into the mystery towards the end of it and you realise that they, they didn't don't know what necessarily know what the mystery was and they've just made it up as they went along. And I think that definitely happened here. But nevertheless, it's fantastic. Everyone should watch it. Do we need a movie? We really don't. I don't think this will happen. I don't think it should happen. <laughs> Uh, I mean, many people have tried. Brian Singer was attached to one yeah. for for a long, long time. Um, I think there have been other directors who've attached themselves to it over the years. I just don't think you're going to improve on Dirk Benedict. I just don't think you are. <laughs> or Lorne Green. That's the version you're talking about, right? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. Did you always okay. love the bit in the credit sequence, the title sequence of the A-Team, where it flashes up, you know, the Dirk Benedict uses Dirk Benedict and a Cylon walks past and he kind of looks at it quizzically. Did you always like that? Do not recall that at all. Do you not recall that? No. Was that a thing in that the Yeah, in the A-Team credit sequence, there was like, I think it was an episode, because they were obviously, in those 80s TV shows, they would take the credit sequences, the, the little montage, yeah. and they would be from different episodes. Yeah. So I think there was an episode of the A-Team where there was a real in-joke, and a Cylon walks past the man who played Starbuck, and so he goes, uh? <laughs> And they put that in the cre- and they put it in the credit sequence. Yeah, that's incredible knowledge. You should be on the Pilot TV podcast. <laughs> if you don't lock that door, I will be. I'm intrigued by that one, but I don't think it's going to happen. One thing I am happy about that is happening is we loved Francis Lee's God's Own Country. Uh, it won a couple of Empire Awards, did really, really well yeah. uh, as well. The box office people loved it, and his second film as a director has been set, as you say in the industry this week, and it's going to be called Ammonite. It's a love story. Set in the 1800s in the UK coastal town, and Kate Winslet is going to play a paleontologist, Dr. Ross Geller, no, Mary Annan, <laughs> uh, who falls in love with a young London lady of means who's been sent to the sea to convalesce, and that said lady will be played by Saoirse Ronan. So I, I'm already imagining Oscar just kind of sniffing around this one, yeah. because this sounds like it's pretty heavy duty. I would say so. 
Interested to see that. I, I loved uh, I loved God's Own Country. I thought it was fantastic. Um, so yeah, yeah. We we await with, with bated m- breath. with bated breath and much anticipation. Yep. There was they announced a voice cast for the Dark Crystal Netflix show. Oh my show. god! Didn't they? Yeah, we I got, think they're still announcing them. Yeah, exactly. We got into this on the pilot uh, cast. It was. It's. I mean, it's an extraordinary array of people. It's. It's almost intimidating. Should we try and get into it? Go on quickly. Reel them off. Okay. Reel them off quick. Taryn Edgerton. Yeah. Anya Taylor Joy. Mm. Natalie Emmanuel. Yeah. Katrina Balfe. Helena Bonham Carter. Natalie Dormer. Eddie Izzard. Kate Gardeth. Theo James. Toby Jones. Shazad Latif. I can hear you, Clem Fandango. See, I was uh, going to go with a Star Trek Discovery reference. I know you sure. were. I know you were. Gugu Mbatha-Raw, Mark Strong, Alicia Fikander, Harvey Fierstein, Mark Hamill, Ralph Innocent. Hello to Jason Isaacs, Keegan-Michael Key, Oliver Dari Olufsen, Simon Pegg, Andy Samberg, and Donna Kimball. Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a cast list. That is. There's gelflings all over the place. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of The Dark Crystal, but... Why not? You, you, you're not a Henson, not a Hensonite. No, I am hence tonight. I love Fraggle Rock. I love well, the storyteller, for yeah. God's sake. I, I was probably more into the storyteller than I was in The Dark Crystal. Just it, pass me by for some reason. Don't know why. No Fraggle Rock. No Fraggle Rock. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, mean, a, that's a hell of a cast. That'll be on Netflix at some point next year as well. Two very, very sad bits of news on which to finish the deaths this week of Sandra Locke, perhaps, of course, best known as an actress uh, for her partnership on and off screen with Clint Eastwood over a number of years in the late 70s and early 80s. They starred together in six movies, Every Which Way But Loose, its sequel, Any Which Way You Can, The Gauntlet, which is a really solid thriller. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Sudden Impact, a Dirty Harry sequel, The Outlaw Josie Wells. She was a director. She directed the likes of 1986's Rat Boy as well. And she was a, a Best Supporting Actress nominee for 1968's The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, which I believe was actually her first movie as well. So in some ways, she actually might have been an underrated actress as well. But those movies that she made with Eastwood are really, really solid. And uh, she passed away this week. In fact, she passed away in November uh, after a battle with cancer. Uh, but her death was only announced this week at the age of 74. And also passing away really sadly this week was Penny Marshall. That's right. And Laverne. Laverne from Laverne and Shirley, but also a real groundbreaker as a director as well. She was a sister of Gary Marshall, who passed away a couple of years ago. I think directing just ran in the family. She directed a couple of episodes of Laverne and Shirley, which, if you don't know what that is, it is a spin-off of Happy Days. Start her and Cindy Williams together, and it was really funny. It has one of the best theme tunes of all time and after that I think she got the taste for directing and in the 80s when it was really hard for a woman to break into directing but let alone mainstream directing she, she managed it and uh, she broke through with Jumping Jack Flash I love Jumping Jack Flash <laughs> genuinely love Jumping <laughs> really, Jack Flash it's a lot of fun isn't it uh, but she broke through with that but then she went on to do a, a trio a yeah. trilogy of movies she did Big she directed Big after yeah. that which really established Tom Hanks, I think, as the Tom Hanks we all know and love. She went on to direct after that Awakenings, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is is a really solid, really really moving film with De Niro and uh, Robin Williams. And then after that, just a few years after Big, was A League of Their Own as well. And after that came movies like Riding the Cars with Boys and The Preacher's Wife. And then nothing after that in terms of movies, but which I don't know whether that was her choice or whether this horrible thing in Hollywood where guys can fail as directors two or three times, they can have a couple of disappointments at the box office two or three times, and they can still make movies. 
women directors find it much harder. It's usually one strike and you're out, which is a, a disgrace. And changing, thankfully, we should say as well. But those three films, that run from big to a league of their own, is uh, is incredible. She was the first female director to uh, make a movie that grossed more than $100 million at the box office. And I think she was a groundbreaker. She was uh, a pioneer in many ways and, and hugely influential and inspirational for uh, a, a new generation of young female filmmaking talent. Yeah, she was she was terrific, and uh, we're very very sad at the Empire to hear of her passing. We are Penny Marshall, who passed away this week. Okay, time now for our second guest. It is our last guest of the podcast this year. We love Ben Wheatley at Empire. He is absolutely fantastic. He is the director of such low budget treats as Down Terrace, Kill List, Sightseers, A Field in England, movies that are made in a couple of weeks using meagre resources he moved up to a slightly bigger budget level with the likes of High Rise and Free Fire recently he's gone back to his roots so to speak with Happy New Year Colin Burstead which is a really interesting very complex often very funny comedy drama uh, starring Neil Maskell Sam Riley Hayley Squires Charles Dance a whole bunch in fact you get to see Charles Dance in this <laughs> it's worth it for that alone it is worth it for that alone uh, in this and it is not being released find conventional means it is not getting a cinematic release this thing is going to be hitting the BBC it's going to be on BBC I think BBC 2 on December 30th which makes sense as is a New Year's Eve movie uh, and then it'll be on the BBC iPlayer for a full year a full year after that so you have no excuse not to check out this movie which is 93 minutes long two no excuses so there you go. Uh, ben Wheatley came into this very booth just yesterday. We were both a little demob happy at the end of a, uh, a long year, and we had a lot of fun. And I hope you guys do too. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the last guest of the year. Save the best for last, Ben Wheatley. How are Hello. you? Hello. Yes, very good. Oh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the end. You're, you're the, yeah, you're the best to last. That's the, what I was kind of The end of 2018. Yeah, that's this is it. The bookend. Who's the first? Fuck, I've no idea. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Tell you what, Ben, you talk for a bit. <laughs> I will look it up. Who was the first person? It was Uwe Ball. <laughs> I will genuinely look this up because now you've, you've got me intrigued. But uh, you were here as in your capacity as writer, editor and director of Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. Yes, I didn't do the theme tune. <laughs> you left that to Clint Mansell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you chose not to do the music as well, just to what to give yourself a bit of a bit of a break, a bit of a respite. Well, it's quite interesting. Um, I recently found an app which, uh, for years, I thought um, that I was a bit of a frustrated musician. Uh, but I, the only reason I couldn't do music is because I didn't know how to play a piano or something. Uh-huh. And I found this app that you can hum into. Okay. And it turns it into sheet music. So I thought that's brilliant. You what? Know, I can release the inner me, you know, right, by okay. humming humming a theme tune and then have it being annotated by a computer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did that, and it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, that's it. Then that that's the final nail in the coffin of that ambition. I will never, I'll never be able to play. I was going to ask what the app was, but there's no point publicising now. It's rubbish. Oh no! It wasn't. It was me that was rubbish. Oh, was it you was rubbish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's so, the app. The app did exactly what I did. So, what did you do wrong? What, what was lacking in you? Um, having no musicality. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Terrible. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So that All was right. that. So you gave it to Clint instead. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's not. He needs to work. That's yeah. officially not how it happened, to be honest. But um. <laughs> Clint, I'll be honest with you. You know, I've let myself down. The app's let me down as well. So I'm yeah, I played go- in the film with my music on it. Like, 
Oh my god, that'd be amazing. Um, I can officially tell you that the first guests of the year were Jason Isaacs and Sinequa Martin-Green from Star Trek Discovery and, on the same podcast, Andrea Riseborough. Bloody hell. That's not bad, is it? Yeah, pre-Mandy. Pre-Mandy, yeah. Yeah. That was for her Black Mirror episode. Right, Did you see that? No. Okay, it's, uh, yeah, it was uh, was, a... Is there a twist? (laughs) 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 Well, the twist is there's no twist. Um, So she'd have shot Mandy by that point. Yes, she would have done. So, she, so behind yeah. her eyes, she had Mandy coming, <laughs> and you didn't know. <laughs> I think we may have talked about stuff she had coming up as well, but I... I Mandy, know some other film, da, da, da. <laughs> you just didn't know what was going to hit you. So if a year was 2018, the year of Mandy and nothing else, is Yeah, that- that's it. That's that in the, when history is written, when the aliens discover a charred <laughs> planet in two million years' time, that's, that's, there will just be a, a reference to this year will just be Mandy. <laughs> hopefully, anyway, hopefully it won't be. They won't say anything else about what's happened this year. No, that would, that would be yeah, that would be bad. There would be quite a lot to get into as well, and it's not something that's that's shied away from either. In Happy New Year, Colin Burstead, uh, you know, Brexit is mentioned directly a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, I think I I, I felt that you couldn't do something realistic about um, a contemporary fi- film realistically without having some mention of it. Yeah, and in a way, you know. It's a dangerous game to put politics, uh, mention contemporary politics in stuff, certainly in movies, because by the time they come out, it's just like, what? Hey, what? What was that all about? I can't even remember it had happened, you yeah. know? But, um, yeah, like a whole film about people moaning about the Prime Minister James, uh, uh, about Cameron or something like that. Yeah, He's yeah. already gone by the time the film comes out, so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, I, uh, But this, I think it'd been going on so long, the Brexit stuff, you just, you know, you, you know I kind of knew it was going to dominate it politics for years afterwards so mm. it made sense to put it in but I think it, it's definitely part of the idea of making trying to m- make realistic characters that they don't mm. exist in a bubble of a drama bubble you yeah. know they kind of they have real things that they are worried about in, yeah. the, in, the, in the outside world and people watch and go yes I understand what they're talking about yeah. and it, it, it's fascinating in that way as well because it, it feels very much like a movie where we have you know I felt at times like I was eavesdropping on people and mm. like you you literally you pick it up in the middle, uh, yeah, in the middle of these people's lives, and we leave it at a certain point. It won't, obviously won't give things away, but uh, it is very much like you've been dropped right into the middle of this, of this gathering of these people's lives. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that was it that the there's no happy endings, or it just depends where you end the story. I've garbled that one terribly, <laughs> but <laughs> but it is true, isn't it? It's like yeah. you know, all films should really end with the with the main character just dying of old age or something, <laughs> like the end of um, Six Foot Under. <laughs> they kind of show what happens to each of the characters. It'd be really sad, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of. And Rocky died. <laughs> anyway, Come I don't, know on, what I'm don't don't say things like that. <laughs> he does. Rocky. He dies in the end. Rocky's, you know it. No, Rocky's. he doesn't live forever. That's madness. <laughs> he might be the one. <laughs> <laughs> he might be the one. Yeah, that's the fact. We might just be his dream. <laughs> Rocky might, after all these years, might be a stealth Highlander sequel. You never know. He might turn out to be immortal. That, that would be something. <laughs> that would be something. <laughs> The crossover, but yeah, um, I'm so dreadfully off topic now. I don't know no, where. No, no, I'm. I, I listen. It's my last interview of the year. I'm a little. I'm a little demob happy. No, no one's listening. It's all right. No you can say what you, you no can say what you like. Should you talk about Mandy for another five minutes? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, I thought it was. Um, I wanted to. Uh, you know, it, it, for me, it was stepping back into doing something that was a bit more, a bit closer to my own experience, basically. Yeah. Not, and, and not making a. And as much as I love genre, 
uh, and I love period movies and uh-huh. genre period movies. I also love a lot. Yeah. I wanted. I'd made three period films in a row basically, and yeah. I wanted to make something that was more contemporary. And you'd also come off the sort of the double whammy of High Rise and Free Fire. Mm. And I, the last time I spoke to you about this film for the magazine, you know, you were talking about how it is a smaller film, obviously, than those two. But mm. watching this movie, it strikes me as no less complex. Yeah. Because suddenly you have you have this huge cast. I mean, it's a huge cast. And you shot it over how many days? Ten. Ten days. <laughs> I mean, Christ. <laughs> uh, and... It doesn't feel cluttered in any way, shape, or form. So, oh, in good. a weird way, did High Rise and Free Fire and that experience working with you know huge casts and slightly more lavish budgets did that prepare you for for handling this many people? In, yeah, I in a guess. Space? I mean, I guess you I, you definitely learn you, you every film you, you come through a bit better. Hopefully, you know. Also, the saying you know whatever doesn't kill you just really makes you quite ill later on. You die because <laughs> of the wounds. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're Rocky, <laughs> in which case you're totally fine. But no, I think it was, um, yeah, certainly that. But I think I think it's really it's come from doing TV, yeah, you know, and doing and and shooting um, probably from doing Ideal, to be honest. Oh, really? The, the yeah, the intensity of the speed of that of having to, you know, go into a room and block often ca- as many as ten characters talking across each other. You know, and, right. and and not having much time yeah, to do it, and you just yeah. have to do it on the spot and do it again and again and again for like eight weeks. And I don't think there's anything, uh, anything that's a, a better boot camp for for directing than that. And in a way, it, it was interesting doing Doctor Who before doing High Rise. Okay, it was a similar idea. You know, I went away and kind of did nine weeks of that at the beginning of the, on the Jan- in the January, I think, or something like that, mm. and then kind of rolled out and then did. Rolled out of that and then did High Rise about two or three months later. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and I'm doing it this in 2019 as well. So I'm going to go and do two episodes of Strange Angel, which is a Jack Rayner TV show in the States. And then I'll come out of that into Rebecca, you know, so okay. straight into it. So what, what does that do for you? Does that sort of, you know, uh, help you prepare for the challenges ahead? Or yeah, does, is it a palate cleanser in a way? Or? It shakes off the cobwebs. It's, it's yeah. more like it's. it's Going up a mountain and, and training with the with the monks, breaking <laughs> stuff in half with your hand, you know. I, but it's more, you know, it, 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 the, the problem with filming is it, uh, there's a confidence thing of like if you don't a lot, you, you can find you don't direct for years on end, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so and then, and then it's so important like the com- the making of the film becomes your whole life and like the financing of it and the whole thing and it's pushing towards the thing and then you then you you're. you're it becomes like superchargedly important to make that film, and then you're suddenly you're there on the day if you're lucky and you're making it, and you go, "Geez, I haven't done this job for two or three years," you right. know? and it's like, and it suddenly becomes the first time you've ever stepped on set for a day, and then it's all right again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but in a way, you can kind of. I'm hoping to, you know, and my why I keep working all the time is to stop that happening as much as possible. And I do ads as well, you know, so yeah. so you just keep. And, it, and I, I do believe it's a muscle directing, you know, and it has to be exercised, so you have to keep doing it and doing it. Yeah, that's interesting. So how, how long had it been since... uh hadn't been that long between Free Fire and, and this, I guess, had it? Uh, a year. A year? Yeah. So had you forgotten what to do? You walked on set for day one and went, what's that? Who, I did, well, no, well, this one was terrifying because I'd written it. Yeah. This is the first time I've written one on my own. I've got a sole writing credit of it, even though it's shared with the cast a bit, but it's, you know, it's my script. And... You know, and there's no one to blame. You know, you and I'd never really appreciated this, and I know Amy must have gone through it when she did when she wrote High Rise and 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 
Fielding England on her own. I had a single credit on that. And certainly, you know, other people I know, like Peter Strickland, mm. you know, every time he steps up to bat, he's got the weight of, you could have done anything else but this. <laughs> you could have done whatever you wanted, and this is what you want. And that's the pressure, you know. So yeah. I sit there going, God, I've written this. This is all, you know, why? Yeah. You know, yeah, it was yeah. just like a big void, yawning abyss going oh god but the next day it was fine once I shot a day of it and I looked at it and cut it together it was alright but up to that point it was terrifying so how did you approach it what was your, what was your first day was it a lot of I mean everything, everything in this movie is big group scenes and people well it was very well scheduled and oddly scheduled but it worked it, so it started uh, I think the first day was only three pages okay and then the next day was six, and then it went to like twelve, and then seventeen, <laughs> and then it kept at seventeen. So it's very much like like hill sprinting, yeah. or, mud, or being a mudder or whatever it is. You're just like <laughs> running at forty five degrees, you know, yeah. up up the side of a hill. But because it had those two days of warm up, and it was for the crew as well as, as uh, it helped for the crew and everyone, you know. So we're going the pace. This is the pace, right? Three mm. days, uh, three pages, six pages. Now we're going to go re- now. Now we're going to go fast, and then and then bang into the the really hard stuff. Yeah. So so how does your approach in something like this differ where you have the cast together for 10 days how much prep time do you have and how different is that from say the Mike Lee method where he will get his cast in weeks sometimes even months beforehand immerse himself in their characters take from that the cues to write the script is that yeah well I can't talk for Mike of course, his process because yeah. I don't know above reading about I'm stuff. guessing that's yeah, what yeah, yeah exactly I've, I've I've not, and I'm not going to I'm not going to yeah, kind of, of um Imagine and I'm, wax I'm lyrical to, about his I'm process. I'm trying to get to Mike Lee through you, Ben. <laughs> but, I'm sure you got him a speed the, dial. No, but this is um, this stuff is is probably the opposite of that in terms of there's no there's no real prep. I mean, there was I think production wise, it's about two or three days. I feel Andy Stark, the producer's twitching somewhere in Dorset. I've said the wrong thing. There. <laughs> Maybe it was a bit longer. It was, but you know, on the ground we weren't there that long. Yeah, you know. Um, and then there's no rehearsal. There's no nothing. But then it's wow. because it's written specifically for the actors usually, yeah. and I know them all. Well, know at least half of them really, really well. You know. Yeah. Um, so that side of it is never. You know, it's not a surprise that they can do it because they're all. The baseline is they're all really brilliant at acting. Mm. And then I've written it <laughs> to kind of bring out things I like in them anyway. So there's yeah. so the odds are, are kind of stacked in my favour in that in that respect. But I think it's a difference between you know it depends how you come up you know, as a director and a lot of directors come up through theatre mm-hmm. and then rehearsals a big deal in theatre. That's yeah. the thing. But but some don't. You know I didn't go. I didn't do any. I've never done any theatre. And I think that that my process is more. Whenever I do rehearsal, I, I look at it and go, God, I really like that bit. And now it's lost forever, you know. And if I talk to them and ask them to do it again, it kind of won't be as good as what it was before because now because it's unconscious what they're doing. Yeah. yeah and now yeah. I'm telling them to do it, and now they now they're remembering doing it and doing it again. So it's never going to be yeah. the same again. So I'm more of a you're not a, you're not a 99 taker. You're not you're not uh, a Fincher. No, I think I've I've done that in the yeah. past, not in films, but in ads and stuff. And it is interesting because you kind of what what I what I think that's about. Is um is breaking the act, the performer down until they don't know where they are and don't know what they're doing and then they then they they emerge into a, a new reality, yeah. Which and, and you can see it. It's like a bell curve. You know, you do the fir- first take is usually really good. Second take's okay. Then there's a massive drop to down to about take eighty. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just awful. And then it just <laughs> climbs up at the end. Uh, <laughs> the last like eighty one, eighty two, eighty three. They're good again. And yeah. then it 
tails off. But it's a really interesting thing when that happens. But it does get that kind of uh, swimming-eyed, confused performance, or uh, that the, 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 they look like they've been totally battered, and that you know that you get in Kubrick stuff. You know, yeah, oh God, you yeah. see it and you go, "Wow, they've said that a lot." You can tell that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is my ninetieth pod interview of the year, so I'm I can see your your eyes look exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not actually looking at me, you're just looking over my head at the clock. I can I'm, feel I'm, it. Honestly, I'm not even sure you're here. To be <laughs> this may be just me and my own, but this Can you stop looking at your phone? What are you checking? Is that the train times? Oh, my God. Oh, my alarm's gone off. Well, Ben, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. It's been grand. It has been grand. What, what adverts do you do that for? I mean, you know... What, long take stuff? Yeah. Um, only, I mean, I've only done it once, and it was on an ad that, uh, that, that the performance was... I think someone's the actor was just a bit big, okay. And you want to lose the bigness to get back to a, rea- a reality, but it's not a it's not a direction you can give. You can't go to someone and go, "Hey, boss, you're a bit big. Can you now act and <laughs> make it more real?" Because yeah. that will just terrify anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a horrible. It's a, you know the worst direction you can give. So you kind of you just keep going, and then you hope that they. Yeah, that you you get to a different space. So there oh, wow. are two. There's two options you can have. You know, they, you can give people very nuanced. You know, and depending on what kind of actor they are, you can give them very specific directions. Um, and you, and that seems to be how ads work. You know, there's mm. a lot of like, um, you know, look like you're smelling vanilla. <laughs> then on we one beat on we you know it's like you can do that in ads but you'd never want to do that on a. I'd never want to do that on a film because yeah. what you're what you want from them. You know the biggest creative decision that I'm, all, I, I believe I make, is the casting, mm. and and then you want that what they do unfettered. You don't want to yeah. mess with it because, um, and also I think I think that's probably why you get a lot of actor uh, directors because they can do the show and tell thing and kind of go, this is how I'd play it. But if I go over to someone and go, this is how I'd play it, mm. and they copy me. It's terrible because I can't act, you know. So can't sing, can't act. No, so exactly. What can you do? But your cast is in, is incredible here, and you you do let them uh, loose. Uh, and a lot of them, it felt to me a little bit initially like this was almost the Ben Wheatley Avengers. So you have <laughs> you know you have all these big Ben Wheatley names coming together. You got Neil Mask, you got Sam Riley, as you mentioned, Peter Ferdinando, yeah, yeah. Uh, Richard Glover is in this yeah. movie as well. But you have lots of new faces as well. You, yeah, yeah, and like to inject into it too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that was great working with you know for working for, with uh, Charles Dance and Hayley Squires and Do McClicken. Yeah, you know. Um, is that how you pronounce her name? I genuinely, I've been pronouncing it wrong for many, many years. How so do you pronounce it? Then? I've I've been pronouncing Doom McKeegan. Yeah, I think I think it's, I think I'm right. <laughs> I think I'm right. I've said it to her face. I don't think she's punched me, but okay, it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. Yeah, yeah. just Doom, and then you're you're done. Yeah. yeah. Hey, <laughs> good you. To, hey, good to see you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it's it's an interesting. One in terms of like the when when people have to pe- if people take to the speed of stuff, mm. and everyone seems to love it. You know, they they the actors like you know they really enjoy working that quick, mm. um, and uh, you know because it's like it, there's not there's no time to breathe. There's no leaving, not really any leaving the set. They're all on the yeah. whole time, and a lot of that stuff was shot in quite long takes as well. Like so, yeah. there'd be like a shoot on the run for ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Um, and you would just be going from room to room, finding out what was happening, <laughs> just following it. Um, wow. Yeah, and that's that keeps the energy of the mm. 
of, of, of the piece and makes it keeps it feeling real. So this movie came out of the blue in many many ways. It was kind of just announced that I think you were you were already filming it when it was announced you were working on a new movie uh, which back then was called Colin Uanus. Yes. You know, over the years obviously you've had lots of other things announced even now your 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 next thing is Rebecca but mm. within that you've been linked to the likes of Hard Boiled and the mm. Wages of Fear remake and the Still Freak Shift and I Am Macrobane and yeah, yeah, just yeah. a huge ton. That's only stuff we know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how big is the the Wheatley to do list, or, or is there a drawer list bursting at the seams? And and what happens to elevate something to the top of that? Um, I, you know, I don't think I can't get too attached to any of them. Yeah, you know, so they're you know they they're on the go. Obviously. That's our job. We we're the ones who get attached. We're the ones who go. Where's Freak Shift? Been? God, we talked about that. Why did you even talk about it? <laughs> I want to see it now. I always wondered why people would not. You know, the end of the end of every interview is the question: What are you doing next? And people oh, often say, sake. "I'm not telling you." You know, and I was saying, <laughs> "Why are they? Why are they being so secretive?" You know, and then five years into my kind of film directing career I'm going oh yeah that's why they keep their mouth shut because hardly any of this shit ever gets made and then you just look stupid and then you've got an IMDB full of crap which is uh, (laughs) (laughs) and not just your own lies other people's bullshit as well there's all sorts of stuff in there now that does you know Um, but uh, (laughs) but yeah I I, I'm working on tons of stuff you know and I write all the time and I write for my own pleasure as much as 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 well as commission stuff and why, why does stuff get made um, I don't know. I mean, it just depends. It, sometimes it's it suddenly gets traction. Um, people are excited about something, or 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 it's a different thing altogether. Like Rebecca, where I, it was a uh, um, through conversations with working title, and they sent me the script and said, "You are you interested in this?" Mm-hmm. So that which is you know, I was like, "Whoa, okay, yeah, I am. That's amazing. I'm not, you know, that's mm-hmm. that totally appeals to me. Um, totally different from everything else I've done." Um, will be a massive challenge. Mm. Um, could be really beautiful, and yeah. So I was like, right, I'm bang up for that. Wow. Okay. Interesting. But but with this one, with uh, Happy New Year, Colin Burstead, mm. or Colin Uanus, whichever you like. I mean, officially we have to call it Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. Yeah. But uh, in the 10 year anniversary, I'm going to put out the whatever <laughs> di- the Green Ray disc of it. <laughs> in in Smellerama, uh, it'll be called Colin Uanus. The Wheatley, the anus cut. Yeah, that's what that's going to be called. Uh, <laughs> but what, what, what propelled that to the to the top was it uh, the fact that it, it does it is real world. It is returned to uh, sort of slightly lower budget. Yeah, well, no, well. well, it was uh, it, in the in the pragmatic world of filmmaking. What had happened was that we're trying to make Freak Shift, mm-hmm. and we didn't quite manage it. Okay, in terms of the budget, we were really close, and it just wasn't enough money. And I was like, do, do. And I like spent a whole year on it going, come on. And it was just about to go. I mean, I, I looked at all the interviews I did around the time of Free Fire going, yeah, 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 it's happening. And it was the deal was all coming together as we were doing, as as, as Free Fire was being released. So I was all part of that press was that that was all happening in the background. And then it just kind of fell apart. And I was like, ah. Oh. And then I thought, I was chatting to Andy Stark. I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? What can we do? I thought, well, this, oh, all right, let's, uh, let's just make a film. Yeah. What can we do at that budget? Uh, you know, and we had some money left over from Free Fire, and we thought, well, we could do that. Um, and then I'd written the script; the script had been written years before. Okay. Um, and I dug it out and went, "Oh, what about this? This is, you know, reasonably low budget. Uh-huh. I mean, it's stupid because it's got twenty-four characters in it, which is the, the rule number one: don't do that. <laughs> um, but at least it was single location, so that that was in our favour in terms of the budget side, yeah. side of it. Yeah. Um, 
and we went, yeah, why not? Let's just do this, you know. And rather than just sit around crying for another six months and then I don't know what I would have done. I probably just would have done a load of ads and then done some more telly <laughs> or something. But I kind of thought, oh, why not? Yeah, well, let's do it. And then and, and, and it ha- could happen totally outside of the system, really, mm-hmm. in the way that we did Down Terrace, you know. And yeah. that was great. It was a real yeah. breath of fresh air and, and we really enjoyed it. Um, Andy and I and Laurie and everyone and Bobby yeah. and all that lot. And it's kind of, you know, it, there, there's, I've I've said it a lot, but it's, I do I do believe it that that the there is no for me I enjoy making low budget films as much as I enjoy making films with more money, and it doesn't really make them any more enjoyable or easier to make when you've got more cash. It's just a different set of aggravation. Mm. You can control things in a different way, so you can start to open up the art department into something that's much yeah. more controllable when you've got cash. Yeah, um, and you can move the camera in a different way. Yeah. But the acting side of it does no difference, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you're just stripped everything else away and you're just, you've just got performance and camera movement, really, um, and editing. And that's all. This, that's the same for a half a million quid film as it is for a hundred million yeah. dollar movie, you know. Absolutely. And this movie has been released in a very interesting way. You know, we're in this age of Netflix and Amazon and... Mm. Uh, Apple are about to enter the, uh, the the fray in a big way, which is going to be interesting as well. But this is it's showing on BBC on December 30th, yeah, which is very nice timing. And then it's going to be on the iPlayer for a full year. Yeah. At what point did that come about? And you know, in terms of even as a director with a with a reputation, it must be still hard to get a movie as small as this into cinemas. Yeah. I mean, what it was was we 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 didn't. We made it on our own. We didn't think what was going to happen. We didn't have a distributor or anything, or, or investors. You know, so we we had it. We owned it, and um, we uh, sent it to the BBC um, through BBC Films and through BBC Comedy. So Andy okay. had contacts through films. I had contacts through Shane Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, um, and Andy had contacts with Rose Garnet. So it was like a kind of pincer. <laughs> sounds, it sounds more planned than it was but I just went hey Shane I've just made a film do you want to see it and he's like oh yeah right I'd love to and so so they were like oh they really liked it we're like oh that's good great brilliant and then then it just kind of went out of that and then I kind of went went to see them and the, this idea started to bubble up that wouldn't it be brilliant to put it on a, on the telly during that peak period and just do it now you know and not wait not, not put it not dis- not put it into the cinemas in a you know, if you're lucky, like a 30 screen release these days, probably like a come along weird film Tuesday or whatever it's called, you know, <laughs> and, and just being that. And uh, it just wasn't looking that rosy. Like we'd, have, you know, if we'd have put it out on the, on on 30 screens, it it would have then kind of scuppered the TV stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wouldn't have been special anymore and uh, there would have been a perception that it had been out. But even on that 30 screens, it probably would have been seen by like under a, you know, five thousand people or something yeah, like that yeah. it would have been bad. So it just it it just made much more sense to put it on TV. And and in the end of the day, that the stuff is about audience. It has to be, you know. And 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 for a fil- a small film to survive, it needs to kind of create a it has to make a mark in the in the cultural memory of the of the country somehow, you know. Yeah. And it ain't going to do it on thirty screens, but it might do it if it's seen by half a million people, a million people. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and that's certainly how it worked with Field in England. Yeah, which is a film that punched way above its weight. It should, you know, that film if we'd have done it traditionally would have gone out. Would have been seen in five. Would have seen in the ICA probably, and and um, uh, uh, on the South Bank. 
yeah. and that would have been it you know or just a field in a field in yeah just yeah. i'd have watched it and then just burnt it <laughs> yeah just just raised it with two big magnets you know um so uh but the, but then it because it was on tv just it, you know i still see people like programming it at film clubs and yeah. talking about it and that's great you know and that but that never would have happened if we'd have done it in a traditional way i'm sure yeah it would have just disappeared under just gone under the water boom gone with all those <laughs> other movies you know that that are really low down in uh, in your search when you're when you're getting on demand. You know? <laughs> well, it's going to be fascinating to see see what happens because I find that films on Netflix can get lost in the shuffle pretty quickly. Mm. Whereas in my experience of using the iPlayer, they tend to keep their films in the in the, on, on the homepage. Yeah, page. yeah, they don't they refre- they don't actually have that much stuff, do they? It's yeah. kind of refreshed a lot. Yeah, you know, I'm still going back and watching the Adam Curtis hypernormalization. <laughs> I love that. You know. It's always there. It's yeah. like an old friend. Yeah, it's like feeling happy. <laughs> Hang on, <laughs> put a stop to that. Here comes Curtis. <laughs> oh, I met him the other week. He was a very nice man. I bet. Yeah. Yeah, we had thirty seconds of conversation. He didn't bum me out. It was all very he good. He didn't, didn't just fade in some ambient, like Eno, <laughs> underneath your conversation. Shots of Saddam Hussein being hung. He might have done it in his head. <laughs> In his head, but I was just having a great old time. It was fantastic. Yeah, um, I love his stuff. I mean, you know, there's some amazing. He's done some amazing documentaries. Mm. It's the Have you seen the Mayfair set? I haven't seen that one yet. You must see it. <laughs> you must see it. It's unbelievably good. I will check it out. Yeah, searching a popular this. internet um, computerized <laughs> search <laughs> engine, and you may find some trace of it on the internet somewhere. <laughs> I will find it. Um, the two last things before I let you go. Uh, did you have any conversations with the BBC about sacking off Jules Holland and his hootenanny and seeing in the new year in the Ben Wheatley style Because, uh, you know, th- there's a countdown to new year in this movie and it, it strikes me that there could have been a nice bit of uh, synchronisation going on there. Yeah, I did think about it, obviously. You know, strong-arming Jules out of the top spot. Screw that guy, he's had, yeah, his, he's had his exactly, time. Exactly, he's had his time. And um, But... Uh, and by the way, that uh, the Hootenanny is recorded about six weeks ago. Precisely, it's so a lie. it's all it's a lie. It's a fake, um, fake news. But um, <laughs> I, I think that I did think about that, and I thought that basically no one would watch it if it was on <laughs> because New, New Year's Eve. It's that's why the Hootenanny thing works really brilliantly because you're either at home feeling a bit sad on your own and you're yep. watching some music and the music, yeah, and it's nice music, or you're drunk with a load of people and hey, some music's on. I want to hear some boogie woogie piano. And um, and you can and do that, and that's why it works. But if you if it's if you're having a good time and there's a film on about loads of people screaming at each other, you're probably <laughs> probably not going to watch that. Um, it's got some piano. It's just not boogie woogie. Yeah, so yeah, of, some nice singing. Yeah, uh, you know, important two two or three lots of singing in it actually. Quite a bit of faping as well. It's, yeah, but that's more contemporary in a way. That's the most contemporary element of it. <laughs> that's in ten years' time when people are watching going. Yeah. God, they used to do that, didn't they? That was that's the thing that killed all those people, isn't it? You know. <laughs> wow. Neil Maskell wreathed in fape smoke. <laughs> yeah, the, the vanilla death as it was <laughs> later known. <laughs> if only we knew now. Oh my God! It feels almost redundant to ask you this in the light of that, especially since you highlighted earlier on how absolutely uninspired and unoriginal it is for for me to ask, what's next? Also, I know what's next for you, which I've is... I've told you already. I know. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is Rebecca, and that is fascinating. What what else can you say about that? It's Army Hammer, reunited with him uh, yeah. again. Uh, Lily James. Yeah, yeah. No more casting has been announced at this yeah. point in time. But uh, uh, 
I guess you would say you're not remaking Hitchcock with this one necessarily. That no. you're you're adapting the novel. Yes. I don't know how you would remake Hitchcock unless you were Gus Van Santing it. Yeah. And doing it shot for shot. Then you, no, it's not and that would be a that would be an odd thing to do, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's um it's obviously the shadow of the Hitchcock stuff is across it, but that was eighty years ago, that film. I don't think there's yeah. possibly anybody alive who saw that when it came out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So let's not get too worried yeah. about a remake. <laughs> too too soon. <laughs> All those Hitchcock purists yeah. storming the cinema. I can't believe it. Yeah. You know. But uh, what can we expect from it, roughly? I mean, you said it was going to be different. So how would you... Um, well, it's, it's going to be much closer to the book than the... Okay. than has been seen before. Okay. Um, so that's quite a major thing. Um, and uh, it's probably going to be a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this is good stuff. Then this is this is this, this is going to take the internet by storm. <laughs> Rebecca will be much longer, says Ben. Or shorter, maybe. Maybe that's oh Christ, because well, the, the Hitchcock one is quite long, isn't it? It's like that's a two and a two and a bit, isn't it? I think yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's one of those movies is for an old <laughs> film. That's quite a long. <laughs> I know it's be- in the reviews of, of Colin. They're saying. A sh- a short at 90 minutes 90 yeah. minutes is how long a film is that's the length yeah. of a film yeah yeah that's it well, when did it become short 70 uh, minutes is a short film I said there's a fair amount of bloat these days yeah. a lot of blockbusters are like Aquaman uh, is 2 hours and 23 minutes long really? 2 hours and 23 minutes long wow about a man fish man <laughs> <laughs> pretty good I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, check it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's I'm going to my Spider Verse. That's the next one. Yeah, that's why. That's what I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, that's fantastic. Peter You're, Porker. You will. Oh yeah, you will enjoy that. You absolutely will yeah. enjoy that. I mean, uh, I've been following. I read all the Morales comics from the start. So. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I've kind of I, that kind of passed me by a little bit. So yeah, yeah. No, it was no. a, it's the yeah. Ultimate Universe stuff is already yeah. great. You know, uh, my, if, you're, if you're MCU fan, you should you know. It's all about that. You, you know, know I am. So, yeah, yeah, but it's the you know the the Avengers, the Ultimate Avengers is is the core of what Marvel Universe stuff is. Yeah, I, I just I just for some reason I just uh, passed uh, that passed me by. But the the film is fantastic, really really great. So yeah. I look forward to you know hearing reporting that one and uh, enjoy your your Christmas break before you get into it big time. You know, what, can you talk to me without putting your coat on? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? I feel used and abused. <laughs> Well, I think we're done here. <laughs> I think we're done here. That's it. That's it. It's been I'm, a pleasure. I'm gone. It's been okay. a pleasure as always. Perhaps, yeah, listen, perhaps you'll come back next year. The rate you work, you'll be done by next year. You'll well, come back and you'll yeah. be our last guest next year's podcast as well. Uh, yeah. For the, the Empire podcast, Hoot and Nanny. <laughs> you should do one. Yeah, yeah. We can shoot, shoot it in March. Do it in March. Yeah, woo! And, and, and on, and on, on, on keyboard, it's Ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley. Yeah, wasn't 2019 really brilliant? Really shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, edit that, edit that. Delete as applicable. Ben, pleasure as always. Thank Cheers, you very man. much, Thank Ben. Thank you. Cheers. So that was Ben Wheatley, and in fact, we should probably start by talking about Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. Uh, mm. James, you haven't seen this. I have not. Uh, I have. I thought it was terrific. Um, it's really interesting. It's, it's as you may have heard in the interview, it is uh, about Colin Burstead, who is a coiled spring of a man, played by Neil Maskell, uh, who invites his entire family, throws a lavish party for them, rents a country house, brings loads of people up. Some of them are invited, some of them aren't. And over the course of one increasingly drunken day, 
things spiral out of control. Not as you would imagine in a Ben Wheatley film. There's, there's, yeah, I mean, when you say out of control, <laughs> yes. are there knifings, murdering, people's skulls being cracked open? There's nothing like that. There's, yeah. If there's any torture in this movie, it's of a psychological bent. Uh, <laughs> it's people being very passive-aggressive with each, with, with each other. It feels very fractured at times, but deliberately so. Ben Wheatley marshals this incredible cast. There's about, I mean, talk about Avengers Infinity War. There's about 22, 23 major speaking roles in this, and he balances them all effortlessly. Uh, it's very funny. It gets quite dark and quite serious at times. But again, I should stress, not as dark as you might imagine from Ben Wheatley. There's not a protracted shootout in a warehouse. There's no shootouts. The there's no Satanism or paganism in this one. <laughs> um, I've, I'm not even going to give away whether there's a body count. Uh, but there's, there's some disco. I'll say that. There's some disco. Well, OK. I, I thought this was really, really well acted, really well observed. And it deserves to be seen by... Uh, by an audience so if you can check it out on the 30th then great if not then get yourself to the iPlayer because it got really really great standout performances from the likes of Maskell and Sam Riley there's really no excuse not to is there it's literally on TV it is literally on TV so I don't know whether we are going to review this officially as Empire because it is I guess officially now a TV movie but let's say we did and we gave it anywhere between (laughs) one to five stars but I would go four. Would I would go, go four, four okay. for Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. Uh, I think this fits in very, very nicely with the likes of, of Down Terrace and Sightseers. Not as not as dark, not as nasty or acerbic as either of those, but it's a, it's a better time at the movies. Good times. So there we go. Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. And Happy New Year, Mary Poppins, because she's back. Hello, she's, Mary Poppins. She's back, back, back. She is indeed. This is a film that I am going to watch over... The Christmas break. Yeah. Uh, I have not had a chance to see it because I couldn't make the screening. I'm fascinated by it. We should say that it's called Mary Poppins Returns in case people are going to the cinema and going, two for that happy new year, Mary Poppins, please. <laughs> yes, Mary Poppins Returns. So, so no, explain this to me. Now, now yeah. the, she, uh, Emily Blunt has a very different take on Poppins herself, am I right in saying? Yes, yeah, serial killer, uh, which is really <laughs> which interesting. Was, I think, unexpected. Like, those yeah. penguins certainly didn't see it coming. Yeah, satanically possessed serial killer. <laughs> Uh, her version, her version of feed the birds is terrifying. <laughs> in this one, uh, I don't. Yeah, I think she does have a slightly different take. It's a sterner take, I would say, than yeah. Julie Andrews. This is Mary Poppins Returns. It is a long, long-awaited sequel, some mm. fifty years after the original movie, the beloved original movie, uh, which I think is fantastic. I've said in the podcast before. It is one of the great soundtracks, banger after banger mm. after banger, and also the atrocity that is Step in Time. <laughs> But as get past that, it's totally fine. So this is directed by Rob Marshall and uh, stars Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins, who returns uh, some 30 years after in the, in the canon of this world uh, to the Banks household, where the children from the first movie, Michael and Jane Banks, are now played by Ben Wishaw and his incredible Tash and Emily Mortimer. And one of the things I found really interesting about this movie was that it tackles some pretty adult, some pretty mature and some pretty dark themes head on. So Michael is struggling after the death of his wife, who's mm. just passed away in the previous year. They have three kids, so he has three kids to deal with, and uh, he's struggling to make ends meet, and along comes Mary Poppins into his life. So he needs bit of magic. help. So he in many help. ways, she is saving Mr. Banks. <laughs> she is indeed. She's saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. Um, well done. Thank you. I can see you working on that for the last 30 seconds. <laughs> and uh, so she comes back into his life. He has three adorable kids as well. She's there to help him as much as she is there to help them. Uh, she hooks up, not romantically. Um, there was a there was a suggestion in the first movie that she and Dick Van Dyke's Bert 
had you know that had previous yeah that he was sweeping her chimney so to speak and <laughs> but in this one none of that he's not lighting her lamps no Jack played by Luma Miranda is not lighting her lamps uh, but there's a real fun to their relationship and it's a real fun as well to just everything about this film I, I, I really liked it so this is a slightly stricter take on Mary Poppins. I know that Emily Blunt's choice of voice, which is a very, very controlled, kind of very posh voice, has rubbed some people up the wrong way. She doesn't sing the songs in that voice, and it softens as mm. she softens as well. And there's some lovely forays into fantasy worlds. There's an extended, there's an extended uh, journey into a Royal Dalton Bowl. One of the best examples of product placement leading its plot that I've seen for a long, long time. You know, Bond is now looking at this going, is there any way we could have Bond go inside his watch, his his, his Omega watch? Can we do, do that? It. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought this was really, really lovely. One of the things that, that goes against this movie slightly is that it's not directed by Paul King. I feel very strongly that all films should be directed by Paul King. But I didn't get a stronger Paddington vibe from this movie as I thought I would, mm. especially given the presence of Paddington, yes, Ben Wishaw, indeed. and in Colin Firth, the man who is going to be Paddington as well. But uh, the songs are good. The songs are fine. I've been download- I've downloaded the soundtrack. I listened, I listened to it a couple of times. Um, and I, I think it's slightly unfair. I've seen an article already going, are the songs in this movie a washout compared to the original movie? I think it's really unfair because we've had years to get used to those songs. We've had years for them to become earworms and become synonymous with that film. And these move, these songs have had two weeks at best yeah. for people. So give it 10 years and maybe trip a little light fantastic or some other, I can't even remember the names of some of them, but then maybe they will be lodged in our brains in the way that these are. We shall see. We shall see. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious stars. Uh, what did we give it? <laughs> Ollie Richards gave it four of our best stars. All right, I would go with that. I would say four is absolutely right for this. And because it does tackle things like death and loss and grief... Which is what you want from Mary Poppins. But honestly, A spoonful of misery helps the medicine go down. Seriously, there's a moment early on which really took me by surprise. Like, this movie moved me in a way I didn't expect. So Ben Wishaw has this... This second song in the movie is Ben Wishaw doing his best sort of Rex Harrison where he's talk singing his way (laughs) through this, this number that I shit you not, Jimbo, is about a man talking to his dead wife. And in a Disney film... I mean, this is bleak. That is about, you know, that later on we'll have Mary Poppins and Lin-Manuel Miranda frolicking with cartoon characters, and he is talking about how much he misses his wife and how much he needs her and he's lost Whoa. without her. And it's incredible. And I was like, wow, this is this is actually operating on a different level to what I was expecting. And there are moments that build in that as well throughout the, throughout the film. It's, yeah, it's this unexpected... Treasure, because I honestly, I was sceptical about this. I, I thought yeah. this was a really, really bad idea. I think it's going to be absolutely huge. Well, I good. thought it was terrific. I am very much looking forward to it. Yep. Four stars in for Mary Poppins Returns. Enough of my monologuing. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, because now let's get on to a movie that you have seen. <laughs> it is Happy New Year, Bumblebee. It is indeed. Bumblebee, the sixth Transformers movie. Uh, and dare I say it, the best Transformers movie. This this is this is not, this, no, you're not going. I mean, the bar's reasonably low, isn't it? <laughs> there is a contingent of people out there, slightly deranged people possibly, who really really like Michael Bay's Transformers films. They think they're great. Now, I will concede the first Transformers film is decent. 
It has its ups and downs. It's more than decent. I'd say yeah, it's it's, it's good. It's, it's good. Stars, I, yeah. I think I think it rations out the action, and I think it has an amount of character development in there which balances it. So you have a reasonably balanced film. After that, it's swinging robot testicles a go go, buildings being destroyed, utter mayhem, and let's be honest, it's total nonsense from that point onwards. What this does with Travis Knight at the helm, you have a proper. 80s set, 80s sensibility, character-led, relationship-based film, which also has giant robots in it. And it's not about giant robot hitting people. There are giant robots hitting people, but it happens in moderation. And it very much takes a second, uh, you know, second tier to the character development. So this stars Hayley Steinfeld as a teenager called Charlie, who on her 18th birthday goes to a junkyard where she is horrified to discover the granddad from Blue Bloods is there having dinner with Tom Selleck. <laughs> but once he's finished dinner, he gives her an old, battered, yellow VW Beetle, which is, of course, our favourite Transformer Bumblebee. She forms a beautiful friendship with him. But this is this is so much fun, and it's it's heavily... I mean, Travis Knight told me this when I interviewed him, but it is heavily influenced by uh, by Spielberg and Amblin in the 80s, and the, the relationship between Charlie and B is very much an Elliot and E.T. relationship. He's incredibly expressive, incredibly cute, and a lot of that is down to Knight's uh, Like a Background, uh, where he, he understands how to draw personality out of something that's basically mute. Uh, and Bumblebee has more character in this film than any Transformer has mm-hmm. ever before. And there's loads of fun in there. There's loads of action. You've got uh, Angela Bassett and Justin Threw as Dropkick and Shatter, the sort of triple-changing Decepticons, who are also, uh, I mean, let's be honest, they don't have a lot of character, but they're pretty funny. Uh, and they work very well as kind of a paired with uh, John Cena, who's the kind of, you know, muscle-bound, 80s-esque uh, military commander who's the antagonist in this. So there's a bit of a chase movie in here, but really it's about her relationship as she builds it with B. She's uh, a girl who's lost her father, so she's quite damaged inside, and B comes and he heals her when she needs emotional healing, and she literally heals him because he's broken and he's lost his memory and he can't speak anymore. The thing to take away from this is a lot of people will have Transformers fatigue. They will have seen the Bay films, they will have sworn off ever watching a film or leaving their house ever again because of having to sit through that nonsense. And this is not those films. This is the Transformers film we've all been waiting for. And I mean that in terms of like younger viewers who have come to these quite late will like it because there's more humour in it. It's, you know, there's, it doesn't reduce itself to cultural stereotypes. Yeah. You know, there's a lot it, going on. It's got heart. It's, it's got, got a humor. lot of heart. A it's lot of heart. heart. And older people like ourselves will appreciate the fact that this is 80s Gen 1 Transformers in their natural habitat. There's a sequence at the beginning yes, where you I see... I very much appreciated that. I'm sure you did. You see the fall of Cybertron at the beginning and all of your kind of fan favourite Transformers. There's loads to love there. <laughs> I yelled it out on my screen and I went, oh my God, it's the it's... 80s Gen 1 Transformers. <laughs> hey, look, it's Wheeljack and Shockwave and Soundwave and Ravage and oh my god that's what you did wasn't it I couldn't pick him up the lineup, mate. yeah fair <laughs> enough <laughs> but anyway you know it's all good it's great uh, there's loads and loads of 80s touchstones in there's John Hughes stuff loads of references Mr. T's serial there's there's tons of 80s <laughs> bangers on the soundtracks I mean yeah, it's a soundtrack. warm and fuzzy film from top to bottom and even when you get to sort of third act kind of metal on metal trading paint stuff uh, it's very very restrained it's not over the top there's not a massive body count it's really well done and 
I think Knight never loses sight of the humanity in this film, and that is what makes it work. Oh, the humanity. Oh, the humanity. You can make out what's going on in the action scenes. Which is a bonus, yeah. <laughs> Which is a bonus. I mean, I, I don't think I was quite as taken with this movie as you were, but I thought the stuff when it is just Charlie... I think Hayley Steinfeld's fantastic in this she film. Is. It's incredibly difficult to do what she does and make it look that simple and that natural when she's acting opposite nothing uh, or some bloke with a tennis ball on a stick. I prefer those scenes when it's just her and the car bonding. I thought it was terrific. Every now and again, it remembers that it's a Transformers movie and that stuff I enjoyed less. I didn't think that stuff was quite as inventive mm. or quirky or playful as everything else. And ultimately, you know, it's nice and it's fun and it has got heart and it has got humour, but it's, again, just a kind of a riff on stuff that we've seen before. I don't know how much new is brought to the table here, but had a perfectly pleasant time watching it. I, you know, I didn't find myself checking my watch every five minutes, which I do with the most recent Transformers movies. Uh, even after the first five minutes, I'm like, oh, God, I've got four hours to go. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. But, yeah, I hope that this is a, a lovely reset for the Transformers franchise and uh, that we can, you know, look forward to more one-offs and, one and spin-offs and an Optimus Prime movie, perhaps, and Wheeljack getting yeah. finally his own movie. And I, ju- I just think let's keep Michael Bay away from Transformers movies. Now, there's no Bay hate here. A number of Michael Bay's films are some of my favourite films. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I have no, you know, Bay enmity per se. But I don't think he had a connection with those characters No, at all. I don't think he cared about them. And I think Knight has a, an obvious affection for Transformers themselves, mm-hmm. which Bay never had. And that's where the warmth come from. There's not that cold, clinical feeling. And I think using the aesthetic that we're most familiar with for the Transformers really helps ground this as well. Mm-hmm. So I gave this film four bumblebee-shaped stars. Wow, what a week. Yes. Four stars for Mary Poppins Returns. What a week. Four stars for Happy New Year, Bumblebee. And uh, four Hewitt stars for (laughs) Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. I should mention, because this is the last podcast of 2018, we are going to be taking a... uh, Well, I guess we're back in two weeks' time. Uh, We will not be reviewing on this podcast Holmes and Watson. That's because it hasn't been shown to critics. It opens on Boxing Day. Take from that what you will... I choose to believe that they know it's the funniest movie of all time and they're hiding it from us and they want people to discover it together. That's my hope. Jimbo, I suspect you may think that it's terrible and that's why that's why they haven't shown it to critics, but who knows. <laughs> I and do know that Nick has bravely volunteered to go down on Boxing Day and watch it for us. Yes, he has. And if I was around, I would probably do the same as well because I love Step Brothers and I love those guys and I think that it could be funny and the trailer made me laugh. Sounds a lot like it's a comedy. Yes, you would hate it. I would hate it. You would With hate it. With the fire it. of a thousand hate-filled oh, yes. sons. And the films that are out on New Year's Day, The Favourite and Welcome to Marwin, uh, Robert Zemeckis' movie, will be reviewed on the next podcast. They will. But if you're doing anything on New Year's Day, you probably stay in and watch the telly because there's an extraordinary amount of good TV, which, of course, you can find out about if you listen to the Pilot TV podcast, which is out on Christmas Eve. Anyways, we'll review those movies when we return on January 4th, Friday, January 4th, because that is it for this week's Empire Podcast, and that is it for this year's Empire Podcast. Specials notwithstanding, of course. (laughs) Uh, Join us in two weeks' time for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by the aforementioned Robert Zemeckis and Steve Carell, so the director and star of Welcome to Marwin. Very excited about that indeed. Until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from James Dyer. Happy Christmas, everyone. Birthday boy.
Yeah. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to Fuck you. Christmas for everyone else. Happy birthday to me. Do you, does that not suck for you, the fact that your birthday and Christmas are so close to each other? It, well, not so much now as a, you know, a, an ostensible grown-up. but as when a I was virtual a, pensioner. Basically. Uh, but when I, yeah, when I was a kid, it was, it was a bit of a fuck show because you just got one set of presents. Did the size of the presents not increase? Well, it's hard to say because you never know what you would have got if you'd at, if it had just been Christmas and not birthday at the same time. No, would I have got less, yeah. or would I've got the same shit that I got anyway? Who yes. knows? I will never know. I always wonder what Christ got. Well, exactly. I imagine. I, I mean, th- again, it must have been a real fucker for him because he would have got just one present, both on the same day. Yeah, you know, present from his parents. Yeah, present from his other parent. Yeah, Santa Claus. Yeah. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to do the most festive thing imaginable. I'm off to spend the entirety of Christmas Day queuing outside my local Odeon, just waiting for it to open on Boxing Day so I can see Holmes and Watson. Uh, all that is left for me to say now, of course, is Merry Christmas to all our listeners. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to you all. We'll see you on the other side. Uh, it has been an incredible ride this year once again. And thank you so much for choosing to spend some time every week with the Empire Podcast. really does mean a lot to us. Merry Christmas. We'll be back. Earning 20% er, (laughs) by...